Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The field has narrowed a bunch in the past couple of days. What's the practical effect? Well, look, um, in our CBS News polling, we have found that among Harris supporters, their top second choices are Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. So they stand to benefit from this. And there's another interesting factor. With Harris's exit, there's now the potential later this month when the next debate is held in her home state of California that every candidate on stage is white, despite the historic diversity of the presidential field this year. Tonight, praise from the other Democrats. She is a first-rate intellect. A first great candidate, and um, it's a, a real competitor. Sometimes campaigns have a way of tearing people apart or breaking down friendships. For us, it's brought us closer. Andrea joins us now. Andrea, it's worth noting that Harris dropped out today, but not before issuing a parting shot about who's left. Indeed. She said in the end she could not compete with two billionaires last year. Two billionaires now in the race, Tom Snyder and Mike Bloomberg. They have unlimited campaign money. But Harris started to plateau in the polls, often struggling to defend her record as a prosecutor. When you had the power, why didn't you try to affect change then? So there have been, um, there have been, I'm glad you asked me this question. I made a decision that if I was going to have the ability to reform the system, I would try to do it from the inside. Was I able to get enough done? Absolutely not. Over the weekend, signs the campaign was unraveling. The New York Times obtaining a resignation letter from a Harris aide who said, I no longer have confidence in our campaign or its leadership. As a member of the Senate, she's considered a very powerful Democratic legislator, but also a litigator. A standout moment during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings was Kamala Harris as maybe uh, the most astute or one of the most astute um, those who are questioning him. We are in the throes of the impeachment inquiry and it hasn't reached the Senate phase and she's going to have a lot more time to focus. Exactly. And that's what the conversation was. Once, if, if the House does, in fact, impeach the president, then it will go to trial in the Senate. And that's where the question mark was, would Kamala Harris even be able to campaign substantially in Iowa because of the amount of time that she would have to allot to being up on Capitol Hill? You mentioned it. Uh, you talked to voters. Her best moments were those moments, whether it be with Brett Kavanaugh or with Attorney General uh, William Barr. Those were her best moments where she was pinpointed, was able to, you know, it became her campaign mantra to prosecute the case. And this is going to be her chance up on Capitol Hill if, in fact, the House does impeach President Trump, is to prosecute the case uh, against the president there up on Capitol Hill. Ultimately, she was not able to do that effectively enough against her fellow Democratic opponents. And so she will be able to refocus her attention. And this will allow her to focus on her Senate duties uh, and also uh, really uh, refocus her attention uh, to a great extent to what voters would so frequently tell us is the reason why they liked Kamala Harris was how she was able to take that case to Donald Trump. Obviously, she won't get that opportunity to do so now on a general election debate stage with Donald Trump. Um, I think she spoke to a lot of the issues um, that matter to me. Um, I was uh, disappointed, actually, that she 
um, dropped out and had to suspend her campaign. <coughs> and I, I think that, um, you know, there's no question that there were obviously problems with her um, campaign. I think there were obviously financial problems. But I don't think that you can look at that uh, without also looking at the fact that as a woman of color, um, she also faced unprecedented <coughs> sexism compounded by racism as well as as a, a female candidate of color. Mm -hmm. This country voted in a black president for two terms. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Yeah. To say that this country has not proven the opposite of what you're saying, I think, is, is factually wrong. Well, so when you, perhaps at there's, some point, you've got to look in the mirror as a candidate and say, you know what, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm struggling to connect to the voters. Maybe I am not giving them what they want <laughs> to hear. Well, actually, um, Abby, I, I think that there's, there's just no question that we did have a black president twice. And, and I, I think that's wonderful. But I think the election of President Trump is, is, may prove my point. It may prove my point because we're in a very divisive place. I'm and not I sure think what when, you're you, trying to make. when you have. Well, a lot of Trump, the fact that Trump is there could be a reaction to a black president. Do yes, you think that's, about that's, that's, that's the point. I think that's far fetched. Really? I think it's, really? I, I, on both sides. Not to shush either of you. I love you mucho. But let me let me ask the <laughs> two of you. Um, we, we need to be sure. I worked for, for Sarah Palin. Um, I carefully watched and covered the campaign of Hillary Clinton. I do think that women are still held to different standards as candidates. They have to have well-run campaigns. Never mind that Donald Trump didn't have a campaign. He literally flew around Absolutely. with hope ironing his pants. They they have to be perfect on the stump, which she, I never saw her stumble. Joe Biden is beloved. Uh, I'm a fan. He's never perfect on the stump. I mean, I do think there is a gender piece here that we still suck at talking about. No, you're right. And I, I don't mean to cut you off. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You women are held to a different standard and black women especially held to a different standard. I agree. Standard. And black women, though, by the way, voted for Trump in the lowest numbers. So we, we, they can say they told us so. Well, my big complaint with Kamala Harris's campaign was I didn't really understand what the message was, what was driving her. She came out of the gate and was so fantastic in that huge rally. It was so well executed and orchestrated. She looked like someone who was really going to have a top flight campaign. And then as the months went on, she never got that bump. She would have a moment like when she literally gutted Biden, but then she couldn't just take the moment and take the spoils. She had to engage in a very contentious national debate over busing, which really no one supports. And so she couldn't get that traction that she needed. And I think at the same time, she had the double-edged sword of not just being a woman, but being an African-American woman and the judgment and the standards that she had to deal with as that with that baggage. Well, I'm excited to see her. Um, I think she's on Senate Judiciary, right? See her in a Senate track. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 6th of December, year of our Lord, 2019. How you doing? Getting your Christmas spirit on? I hope so. That entrance is... In no way linked to Christmas spirit, but of course that is, uh, you know, Harris is out. We're going to cover it later in the show because, let's be honest, it looks to me like Democrats are fucking racist and sexist because if they can't nominate a black woman, really? What the fuck? Everything left is old white people and one female. Because, yeah, the rest of them are in there, but they should just quit, too. So Today we're doing a different show. We're just going to do a news and social media nuggets. We're going to cover the Lisa Page bullshit. 
because um, I promised I'd do it. And then, then This Is America is also a political thing. But from front to back, we're just going to do some politics and some or some news and social media nugget fun stuff. Talk about gay shit. Everything's racist. Little military corner, a little BRC worship today. Um, and then on uh, Tuesday or Monday next week, we'll do our next podcast, and it'll be politics. So in an urge to try to get the show down below three hours, I decided to split it. And so what we're going to try to do going into the new year is one podcast will be politics. It'll be like a weekly roundup. And the other podcast will be just fun. Which, I mean, it still covers politics, but it's stupid shit. And if you notice the tempo on the show, I am my happiest self when I'm doing news and social media nuggets. Which, once again, is just a cliche that I made up for shit that I couldn't classify. And it turned into what it is, college crazy, gay shit, everything's racist, and just faux SJW nonsense that gets shoved in a nice little little package. And it's fun to make fun of it, so... Anyway, let's um, get on into it, and we're going to do the Lisa Page. I'm only going to play one soundbite. I could have played ours, but for those that have forgotten, this is the star-crossed lover FBI agent who wanted to take down Trump, was fucking a married man, and now she's out with an op-ed saying, I am the victim. Oh, really? Former FBI lawyer Lisa Page ended nearly two years of silence in an interview with the Daily Beast revealing her feelings when singled out by the president at political rallies and in his tweets. She said, it's like being punched in the gut. My heart drops to my stomach when I realize he has tweeted about me again. The president of the United States is calling me names to the entire world. He's demeaning me and my career. It's sickening. can you imagine the president of the United States speaking and tweeting about your personal life, your relationships, your your sex life? I mean, it's so jaw-dropping what she has lived with for the past two years. It's, it's incredible, actually, that she has stayed silent for so long. You know, you mentioned that it was amazing that she's stayed silent for so long. And I think it really goes to how civil servants, whether it's in the Department of Justice or Department of State, really have a culture of being apolitical, of not trying to get into, um, you know, partisan fights or in the crosshairs. Um, it's not in their DNA. They, they put their heads down and they do their job. And the fact that you have these people speaking out, I think Lisa Page, is kind of emblematic of this parade of former FBI agents, former prosecutors, now current State Department employees who are coming and testifying in front of Congress of how they feel their institutions are under assault. Yashar Ali starts us off. Lisa Page's first tweet in her first interview with Molly Jongfast. Yeah, that piece of shit got the exclusive. I'm done being quiet. Molly Jongfast, but honestly, the real thanks goes to National Security Lisa, who survived this ordeal. Brian Seltzer, Lisa Page breaks her silence in an interview with Molly Jongfast. Honestly, his demeaning fake orgasm is really the straw that broke the camel's back, his being Trump. She says, POTUS is calling me names to the entire world. It's sickening. It's very playful to see places like FBI and Department of Justice that represent so much of what is excellent about this country not fulfilling the crucial obligation that we have to speak truth to power, Lisa Page says. 
Somebody goes, playing a victim while you're fucking a married man. Hmm. Byron York. Many note Lisa Page has decided to talk on Eva IG report release. True. But IG has already written in 2018 that Page and Zork caused damage that goes to the heart of the FBI's reputation for neutral fact-finding and political independence. FBI agents that openly hate us to investigate us, playing on FBI phones, texting love messages, hate messages, that is misuse of security clearance. Now she's a victim, these are people's reply. This is all about rolling out Lisa Page the victim. Page will pen a deal for a book, hit the left-wing TV cable circuit, The View and Morning Joe, Page will make some money, then her 15 minutes are up and Page will crawl back under the rock she came from, and I totally agree. Another Byron York. Amusing. Daily Beast. Lisa Page story says leaked press accounts indicate IG report will exonerate Page of allegation that she acted unprofessionally or showed bias against Trump. IG will apparently affirm that Page has been saying all along. Problem. We already have a Justice Department IG report from 2018 covering some aspects of Page's work. And IG has already found that Page showed a gross lack of professionalism. Page 423. Second, Page... Uh, plus, IG found that some of Page's text exchange with Zork exhibited the appearance of bias, and at least one went beyond just the appearance. Reading Daily Beast story on Lisa Page can be difficult. That connection does end in, of this paragraph have with the beginning. New York Times link is a story in alleged Russia in 2017 and after activities. Can't find quoted sentence in the story or any other. Also in Daily Beast Lisa Page story, the acted out and orgasm link goes to an apparent random Rick Wilson screed about how terrible Trump is with no reference to the event in question. So I'm not going to read her op-ed. I am not giving time to that. And once again, as an objective, independent American, yes, I am conservative, but independent this would not fly with a Democrat. You can't say text that he's going to kill the world. We must stop him as an FBI agent, be part of the investigations into Hillary, and say there's objectivity. You just can't. I don't care how the IG report will spin it, but once again, I hate to put the tinfoil hat on, and I hate to sound like some deep state guy. But it's almost impossible to not look at all of the things that have gone on and see that most of the CIA, FBI, civil servants, State Department, IG, everybody hates Trump. Now, granted, he's gone after him, but the fact of the matter is, everybody hates him, and they've all shown a bias. It's why we'll never have just a normal person be president. You have to be from the establishment because these people don't want changes. I mean, really think about if you're one of these people in a cushy office making tons and boatloads of fucking money. You want somebody to come in who keeps saying, I'm going to break this shit up because it needs to be broken up. I mean, it might sound fucked up since I'm a person on a military pension and a disability check. Oh, you're using the system. Well, I, like, served to get what I got. I got injured to get what I got. I went to war. These motherfuckers, they sit and sit and sit and use the system and protect the system. And unfortunately, we have some people making money that you just wouldn't believe up there in Washington 
We didn't elect their asses. But they kind of run the country, don't they? I mean, let's look back to all the things that have happened since after Bush W. Tell me the IRS would have happened if it wasn't for a severe bias in the institutions we have. I mean, they're just severe bias. Any way you cut it, it's severe bias. Because the IRS alone, if you just look at the IRS scandal, stopping some organizations for their political affiliations from getting 501Cs and allowing parent Planned Parenthood to get $550 million a year. Checkmate. I mean, how do you say that's okay? How? How can you say all the move on, all these organizations that roll all, all the things that have 501Cs that are Democrat, but conservative ones are bad people. They're abusing the system by being a political organization that say they're a nonprofit. We have a problem. It needs to be fixed. It won't be Trump. But someday somebody's got to fix it because it's a hot garbage fire. So, going to go into Military Corner. We're going to cover BRCC, Black Rifle Coffee. And we're going to play a soundbite of, you know, I'm a happily married man. And I saw this picture the other day of this girl that works for, or this woman, excuse me, that works for BRC. And I got to admit, I that's, uh, you know, I'm 52. Very rarely do I go, uh-huh. And I was going, uh to this picture. I mean, I've looked at the picture a couple times. I felt like my dad, I found my dad's Playboy. <laughs> That's what I felt like. Um, she's got a potty mouth, which is awesome. Um, tatted, gorgeous. Um, I'm going to get her name when I'm playing these, and you should follow her. Somebody was putting up to follow. I, I just did a tweet. Somebody needs to marry this girl and treat her like a goddess because she's gorgeous. I mean, she's just gorgeous, beautiful woman. I've never seen her before. And once again, I never do this because I'm married. You don't look at women. And, yeah, she could be my daughter. But regardless, she's gorgeous. And I guess she's one of their workers or does skits. I don't know. I, you know, I've watched a lot of the Matt Best stuff, so I don't know. If she's already been in videos and I just never paid attention, but uh, she's gorgeous. Um, so we'll talk about her briefly and you should follow her just if you just want to smile. That's what I say it is. It's my smile. I'm going to occasionally go to her Twitter account, look at her pretty face and go. Good morning and welcome back. A veteran-owned business is brewing up some good after an Oklahoma police officer receives a Starbucks cup that said pig instead of his name. Black Rifle Coffee Company raising the precinct spirits with a gift of free coffee. Joining us now is Army veteran and CEO of Black Rifle Coffee Company, Evan Hafner. Evan, thanks for being here this morning. You know, you see that where it says pig on the cup, and I just feel like most people are like, what is going on right now? The fact that that is happening at a Starbucks. What was your initial reaction to it? Uh, my first reaction was, this is disgusting. Obviously, I think that's the majority of Americans would feel that this is a disgusting act. So we felt that it was only appropriate to just extend an amount of gratitude as we do every day here at Black Rifle Coffee is to extend gratitude to the law enforcement community. And we shipped out a bunch of free coffee, just making sure that everybody knows there's still companies out there that love 
law enforcement and continue to celebrate their service to our communities. And that picture was from a post from the police chief in that area. He took to Facebook with that picture, you know, talking about the anti-police culture that's going on. And at that time, it got over 30,000 shares. I understand the post has been removed since then. Did you have a reaction from the police department when you sent them coffee? Uh, we've had an overwhelming uh, positive support from the community, and not only the community in Oklahoma, but the, uh, the sheriff himself, and then also the majority of the Americans that have interfaced with us on social media think that it was an incredible uh, act of generosity. And I think it's not really generosity. It's, it's something that we have to continue to promote to counteract this progressive anti-law enforcement narrative that... Uh, corporations and these big corporations continue to push. And I think this is kind of that West Coast elitist progressive culture that continues to encroach into American corporate values. Well, here's the statement from Starbucks. This is a response to that post, and it says, quote, this is totally unacceptable and offensive to all law enforcement. We are deeply sorry and have apologized directly to the officer who experienced this. We have launched an internal investigation into this matter, and our leaders would like to connect with you directly to apologize to you and to the entire department. Evan, though, this isn't the first time we've seen the word pig being associated with our law enforcement officers. Officers, you know, back in 2016, we saw socks with pigs on them and police officer hats worn by Colin Kaepernick right there. You're seeing it when he played for the 49ers. I mean, it's it's gross. We've, we've seen it across the board, even within the interaction of uh, uh, people within social media. People have called it disgraceful that we're continuing to support this. Most of the time, we just let this stuff uh, fall off. We let the narrative die. But our thing is, is we have to continue to fight this anti-law enforcement narrative. They continue to serve our, our communities every day. They put their lives on the line. These guys are heroes. These men and women continue to do the right thing over and over. We just have to continue to fight this narrative that we continue to see over a certain percentage of our population. I think it's a duty of every company to step forward and say this is wrong. And we need to always say thank you. Thank you that we appreciate the job you do in our communities. And we say thank you to you for serving our country, Evan. And we thank you for being here as well. Thank you. Have a great day. So to help you take the edge off this, fuck, 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 I don't like that. I just need a shotgun, like three beers, and I'll be good to go, man. Just let me do all this real fucked up, man. Right, Jack? That's goddamn right there, Hi, I'm Heather Lynn, and the holidays have come once again, which means it's that time of year where everyone sets aside their hatred for their own family to come together to celebrate... Like, togetherness or some shit. I don't really know. You could be vacationing in Belize right now, but instead you're listening to your drunk uncle talk about immigration policies. So to help take the edge off, this one's called the Fa-La-La-La Latte. I've got my helper elves with me, and we're ready to get started. You can call me Jingle Bells because I'm ready to go all the way. This is why you don't hire people off Craigslist. Okay, not to be rude, but shut up and fuck you. First, we're going to start with a cup of freshly brewed coffee, because why the fuck wouldn't we? And where the fuck is the booze? Did you check that meth head you fucking hired? <laughs> hey, you know why Santa always goes through the chimney? Because he knows better than to try the back door. <laughs> you smell like 2007 Lindsay Lohan. <clears throat> now add in your creme de menthe and chocolate liqueur because it adds a touch of festivity to our seasonally induced alcoholism. 
Now we're going to add two tablespoons of heavy cream. Aye, speaking of heavy cream, you know what the best part about being an elf is? Santa knows where all the naughty girls live. But honestly, uh, I did learn the hard way that you should always wrap your package before putting it under someone's tree. Oh, fuck! You are supposed to be a helper elf! Helper! You are not helping! My bad, my bad. It's almost like he's not a real elf, Heather. Frank, I swear to God. Now we're going to add some whipped cream and chocolate syrup because calories aren't real when you're home for the holidays just counting down the seconds that you can return to your regular 9 to 5 high pressure job where every day you feel the mounting, crushing psychological weight of not measuring up to everyone else around you. But that's totally fine, right? Because it's way less stressful than sitting there listening to your anti-vaxxer cousin drone on and on about the evils of drinking cow milk and saving cow titties and God save the cow titties. Like for the love of Fuck, Cindy. Get down off your high horse for one goddamn second. Stop buying cars with leather interior, you hypocritical hippie bitch! You're insane. Yeah, Heather, I notice you're a little stressed out right now. I got something for you. Is this mess? Oh, man, I thought that was the Advil. Cut! Now we're going to garnish this absolute disaster piece with some peppermint candy canes. Try not to poison your family, commit atrocities, or do murder. Happy holidays and fuck your sensitivity. You want me to call animal control? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, that's in reference to the Starbucks incident we covered last podcast. Where the oh-so-tolerant left showed once again what they think of police, which just fucking pisses me off. And they're doing the right thing in supporting them. So I wanted to cover that. And then the lady in question was the second part. Her name is Heather Lynn. Let me get her Twitter account. Heather L-Y-N-N-O-H. And uh, once again, married man, not trying to be inappropriate. She's probably in her 20s. She's gorgeous. Just gorgeous. So if you want to see a pretty girl, you know, one time I thought about doing the Babe of the Week on the show, which is totally inappropriate for the format, because um, every once in a while you run across good-looking girls, and most of the listeners I hear on this sh- or see on the show seem to be males, but yeah, it's not my style. I'm not going to do the Babe of the Week. I'm, I'm old. And it's inappropriate. and. I'm sure she's a college-educated woman with a whole lot more to offer than just her pretty looks, but she's beautiful. So, Heather Lynn O.H. is her Twitter handle. Um, and once again, I'm only covering this because somebody put it out. It came in my feed to follow this girl. So I'm following this beautiful lady. Long story short, good for BRC. Let's move on to other Army news. Army announces winter deployment to Korea and Afghanistan. Uh, it looks like it's going to be the 10th Mountain Division and 1st Infantry Division. The 2nd Brigade Combat Team, 1st Infantry Division out of Fort Riley, Kansas, will deploy for winter rotation to South Korea. Korea. The Brigade will replace 3rd Brigade Combat Team of 1st Cavalry Division. And then 10th Mountain will be heading to Afghanistan. So, God be with you, boys. Stay warm. Uh, uh, fucking winter in Korea or Afghanistan. Really sucks ass. Other big news came up this week. I don't know why this was so huge. They can now wear their brown fleece caps with combat uniform. 
It was everywhere. It was in every feed I had. <clears throat> I feel bad for these guys because, you know, I got out in 2005 or retired in 2005. We didn't have 8,000 hats. These poor bastards have had braids, soft caps, fucking um, black, black, brown, and uh, ACU colored fucking fleece caps. Well, at least when I retired and threw my shit out, it was BDU colored. Because ACUs was coming out, but I was an OC, so I didn't wear them. Active duty, duty U.S. Marine charged with illegally flying guns into Haiti. Sweet God, this is like a goddamn movie. He was caught smuggling guns into Haiti, told investigators he wanted to help the country's military learn marksmanship and defeat thugs, causing instability in the country. Criminal complaint filed last week in North Carolina federal court charged Yaquez, uh, Yaquez, whatever, for smuggling arms. He flew from North Carolina to Haiti with baggage including eight firearms, at least five of which he bought himself, but he didn't have the uh, authorization. Two plastic containers, he sent ammo. It's a movie. Former Green Beret is running against a former SEAL for House seat. Two former Special Operations personnel in Virginia are competing against each other for the Republican nomination. Nick Frieda is a former Army Green Beret announced Monday he's running to be the GOP nomination in Richmond area, district currently held by freshman Democrat Abigail Spanberger. Frieda has recently mounted a successful re-election campaign for a State House delegate seat after he failed to get on the ballot because he did not submit campaign paperwork on time. John McGuire, former Navy SEAL, was also a member of the State House, announced his congressional bid last month. Here's my thing. Why don't you guys de-conflict, do a little freaking Jason unit coordination and change districts? One of Because we sure could use more vets that aren't, like, super liberal up in Washington. Marines can like political Facebook page, but not share them, new guidance says. I'm just going to read that. I'm just going to let it sit there. That is the dumbest shit in the world. It's the dumbest shit in the world. I know I wasn't in the social media military, which seems to be tearing motherfuckers up from fucking sending out sexting pictures and then throwing pictures of naked women, just being stupid over there in the Marine Corps. Um, I... How are you going to stop people from liking or sharing stuff? How? How? That's like like the sex laws. You can only have sex in missionary in about every fucking state in the union. Nobody enforces that shit. Army complains to companies selling dog tags with biblical scriptures. Religious liberty fight ensues. A private company says it's fighting a directive from the Army Trademark Licensing Program to halt sales of replica dog tags stamped with service emblems alongside biblical scriptures. Shields of Strength LLC will describe itself as a faith-based business started selling trinkets under an Army-granted license in 2012. But the company operated without a license before that, selling millions of them since 1998. However, the company's ability to use Army element emblem was put in jeopardy this July following formal complaint from the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, an advocacy group focused on service-related First Amendment issues. Oh, an anti-Christian group. Got it. Mike Wazinski, 
founder of MRFF, told Army Times that the prost- prostatizing merchandise was clearly clear-cut violation of Pentagon policy, which doesn't allow trademark logos to be used to promote religious beliefs. The Marine Corps Trademark Council was also sent a complaint by MRFF in July. The Army responded on August 12th, but not to Weinstein. Kenny Vaughn, president of Shields of Strength, said he received an email from Army Trademark Licensee Program Director Paul Jensen with the subject line, Negative Press. You are not authorized to put biblical verses on your Army products. For example, Joshua 1.9, please remove all biblical references. The email was included in a complaint sent to Jensen on Tuesday. So basically, this is just like the flag and the or the cross in the desert. Somebody hates God, so they get, you know, and the thing that's so funny is I always, I, I know I repeat myself on the show, it's hard not to because the shit's all cyclical. But you can wear a yarmulke, you can wear a hijab, you get special meals, but goddamn you to hell if you put a St. Christopher on your fucking dog tags or wear a cross. Can't have that. So once again, this is just the cross in the desert. The cross that has been in the courtyard of the town square since the dawn of time and some atheists got pissed. Go fuck yourself. Well, it's not religious, but fuck you anyway. These maps can help you figure out your burn pit exposure risks through the Pentagon has acknowledged the risks posed by breathing fumes and burn pit used to dispose of trash down ranges. It can be difficult for service members and veterans to get care based on time they spend around them. A pilot project from the Center for New American Security, a wounded warrior project, aims to help troops connect the dots. Using the Defense Department's own records, a team put together two maps broken down by location, time period, and type of particular matter recorded. Veterans can pinpoint their potential exposure based on the past deployments, look up the documents, and share them with their medical provider. Um, let me click the link because as I'm scanning through this article, there is no web address and no, no, I haven't signed up for the burn pit. I probably should. Uh, it is CNAS, org, and you can look it up period, periodic occupational and environmental monitoring summary. And let's look at the maps. Iraq, Kuwait, Afghanistan. This doesn't really help at all. They only have Bagram Airfield on this. So this is a useless piece of shit. I was at Kandahar. They're burning the whole fucking time. My fucking defensive position was... Oh, here's here's a picture. Okay, they do show different areas. I guess I had a... Put it up. They show 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 different locations, and they show a big exposure at Kandahar. So, once again, if you're a vet, don't be like me. Don't be like Tony. Go get your fucking shit squared away, because let's be honest, they threw disability at me for sinuses. Probably in lieu of this, but yeah, it's it's uh it's a bad thing. We we it's just like the guys that fought in Gulf One, all the fucking Kim burn. Um, you got to get protected because it's going to hit you later on in life. So let's go into college crazy and our news and social media nuggets portion of the show. We're going to start with a guest lecturer at the University of Florida insisting America is facing metastatic racism. It's a cancer. I would say it's 
not just white people, but yeah, go ahead. And then we have a speaker at a Christian university tell students to use their churches to hide illegals. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. And, and so, you know, after hearing Skinner's speech, they, of course, 
sort of, as I write in the book, join this sort of church, this church of, of, of the black power movement, and their throws got to go higher. Um, and, but ultimately, they adopted liberation theology. And I think black churches, like white churches, need to decide what type of theology they are going to preach. Is it going to be a theology of liberation? Or is it going to be a theology of trying to civilize people? And just know that civilizing theology breeds racist theology. And because what it does for black people, it says, you know what, you know what's wrong with black people? They're behaviorally deficient. And the job of the church is to bring these behaviorally deficient people in and civilize them. And then once they start working harder, they'll be less likely to be unemployed. Once they start being so violent, they won't be more likely to commit crimes because there's no racism. The problem is these behavioral deficiencies. And so we have black churches preaching this and teaching this, just as we have white churches preaching this and teaching this. And can I just say one thing about this? What's ironic is if you, let's say, you are a powerful political and economic figure, and as a result of your policies, people are church that is teaching civilizing theology, that people are struggling because of what they're not doing, or are you going to support a church that's, that's preaching liberation theology? So then we can begin to understand the relationship between these mega churches and these mega powerful political and economic leaders, that I want people to struggle as a minister, because the more they struggle, Just wanted to stay here and build their lives. And 
Many years they went ahead and built those lives. In the law there's a doctrine called equitable estoppel. Equitable estoppel means that you can't watch somebody invest and build something and wait till they've built it knowing that they exist and then come in and take it away from them. That's not fair. And yet that's exactly what we're doing. There is not a single Seventh-day Adventist church that I speak in that I don't have people come up to me afterwards who are undocumented. Many of them are very beautiful, wonderful, amazing people who have contributed to society and have children who are born in the United States who are United States citizens. There is no reason other than animus to kick those people out. A church entity asked me to, to look into this because of our members being deported. And one of the things I found is that the uh, U.S. Uh, ICE service has a policy. And it's actually a policy drawn from the Bible, believe it or not. You see, in the Bible there was something called sanctuary cities. Then in the English common law they developed that to have a sanctuary within a church for people who are accused of a crime. And today, Except in unusual circumstances, ICE will not raid a church. Now, I'm not giving you a policy that's like some, you don't have to be a lawyer to figure that. You can Google it and read the ICE policy yourself. This is my challenge to you. Why not open up your church as a sanctuary? Why not say to people who uh, have good reason to be afraid, if you are afraid, come and live in our church. We will turn our sanctuary into a real sanctuary. Enough with the blah, blah, blah. People are being hurt right now across this country. Many of them are our brothers. And they're our sisters. And we stand by with our churches empty when they could be. Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Inclusion. Many of us look back on history and we say, if we were alive during the time of the slave, slave times, we would have been part of the Underground Railroad. Oh, yeah, that would be me. Really? Would you? I mean, you could lose your house if you go to jail. Are you serious? Would you do that? John Bynes and the first general conference president did it. But would you? Really? People say, hey, but during the Nazis, <laughs> I would have been. And risk being holed up by the Gestapo, sent to a concentration camp yourself? Would you do it? UNC agrees to make changes after anti-Semitic rapper controversy. UNC and the U.S. Department of Education Office of Civil Rights reached an agreement to settle a complaint filed against the university for hosting a rapper some said uttered anti-Semitic lyrics. Representative George Holdings sent a letter in April to Secretary Betsy DeVos calling for investigation to be opened after the Department of Education partially funded a conflict over Gaza conference featuring a rapper that some deemed as anti-Semitic. 
Um, this is supposedly, let's try it all together. I need your help. I cannot be anti-Semitic alone, Nafar said before singing. Don't think of Rihanna when you sing this. Don't think of Beyonce. Think of Mel Gibson. I'm in love with the Jew. Oh, I fell in love with the Jew. Oh, her skin is white and my skin is brown. She was going up, up, and I was going down. According to the Daily Tar Heel, a university-wide email was sent out to the campus community going over the UNC and the OCR agreement contained. The email said the UNC will issue a statement reiterating their commitment to having a harassment-free environment, including not, including but not limited to anti-Semitic harassment. Yeah. Hmm. The left's just got a problem with anti-Semitism. I mean, they'll find stars on freaking campaign shit and call it anti-Semitic. But when it's outright anti-Semitic, which, you know, I don't know what that song was about and the context, but they just don't fucking seem to give a fuck. UC employee accused of Nazism forced to apologize for unfortunate number combo. Here we go again. The numbers. Because once again, it's new white supremacy. We covered it, you know podcast to go it's not blatant it's subtle so if you put the following all grads 14 of about 88 please note the upcoming university deadline you're a nazi university california santa cruz employee was recently forced to defend herself after an unfortunate copy and paste incident that left her facing accusation of pushing pushing nazi propaganda Emily Neff was accused of slipping white supremacist hidden message in an email to graduate students at the Baskin School of Engineering. In November, Neff sent an email to students about an upcoming deadline. The email subject line read, and I just read it, she, uh, the number 14 and 88 are often referenced by white supremacists and neo-Nazis to identify one another, with 14 being a reference to the 14-word slogan used by white supremacists, and 88 referring to H as the 8th letter of the alphabet, thus Heil Hitler. Okay. After receiving the email, one student took to the university Facebook page proclaiming that someone sending emails using the BSOE graduate student affair email account has some explaining to do, insisting the numbers can't be a coincidence. Someone's trying to throw a Nazi slogan in email. While some students commenting on the post dismiss the numbers as having a more likely explanation than Nazism, others maintain that it should be treated as promotion of Nazi ideology. I'm not reading it. It's a huge screed. Uh, oh, very likely coincident event which occurred by accident. Someone sent an emails using the blah, 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 blah. Later, the student updated his post saying that Neff had reached out to him directly to apologize and acknowledge that the appearance of the numbers that started the student was, in fact, unfortunate, very unlikely coincident events which occurred by accident. In defense against accusations that she was using university resources to distribute Nazi dog whistles, Neff sent a following-up email offering sincere apologies. Neff explained the numbers were a result of searching for and copying an old email. For message continuity, I'd searched for a previous announcement in our C-Grad inbox titled University Deadline and copy and pasted the content of an older email to a new email and inadvertently included the email search count in the subject line. The email search count was located just above the email and da-da-da-da-da, it's not real. I'm not about fucking Adolf Hitler. Jesus Christ, you people are sensitive. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm bringing back the circle game. <clears throat> I'm just going to do it in Walmart just to piss people off. Because of the OK symbol, 
and the circle game is now white supremacist. I mean, you're stretching, people. I know it's an election season and you want to get anybody elected other than Trump, but goddamn. I should have put that in everything's racist. Conservative released emails from a professor allegedly calling them a white supremacist group. And it's allegedly, but here's the email. Hi, Stu. I hope you're well and I'm emailing because I have to cancel our meeting for this afternoon. Yesterday, Kennesaw State has a demonstration for trans students that I brought my love and sex students to. I'm being harassed and doxxed online by white supremacist group and I need to organize my response and support today. I'm so sorry for having to cancel so late, and I hope it's possible to reschedule when you're back from family. Warmly, Jalisa. Jalisa Jackson. Yeah. It was a Young Americans for Freedom white supremacist group after she initially planned to require students to attend a protest against speech by a conservative commentator, Michael Knowles, which we played a lot of that in our last podcast. Emails released by YAF appear to show how KSU handles the situation with women gender studies instructor Jalisa Jackson. It's just like the Army. You never have an EO person who's not a person of color or a female if you're in that kind of unit. Um, it always cracks me up. So Jalisa Jackson, she hates white people. You know it. Who first said her students were expected to attend the protest against KSU YAF event, which hosted Michael Knowles. Campus forums not your friend. The authenticity of these emails. The university did not respond to requests for comments. Shortly after Jackson sent the email to her love and sex class, the emails published by YAF allegedly showed the dean of college of humanities and social science, Sean Long, emailed Jackson and told her that she could not force students to attend the protest. Requiring students to attend a student-led freedom of expression demonstration on campus in lieu of class may violate KSU policy. Therefore, to the extent you have not already done so, please clarify to students that attendance at this event is not mandatory. When contacted by YAF, the professor backtracked on her initial email to students stating the attendance will not be taken for today's class and evidence the presence at the protest would not be mandatory. And I'm not reading anymore. She's saying she's being doxxed. But, you know, once again, liberals are always, always, always the victim when they're caught being bullies. UW fellow student, I'm sorry, UW fellow two students don't bring too many white students around. Just let that sit for a second with Camelia Harris out of the race. Just let it sit. University of Wisconsin-Madison housing fellow at the school multicultural learning center has been placed on paid leave after telling students to limit the number of white people they invite to the dorm. Chafeng Yang, who's also a junior at UW-Madison and prefers plural pronouns like they, them, theirs, and you're an idiot, poorly said don't bring too many white students around to White Wit Resident Hall, the site of the MLC. Yang told the local NBC affiliate that discussing race and having uncomfortable conversations was part of the role for a fellow. It's, it's my job to be a racist. It's not to say white students are not allowed here, she said. But it's just to say, let's make sure we're protecting the intentionality of the space. The intentionality of the space. Which is really what we're saying on every college. This is a black space. Go fuck yourself. Meredith McClone, Director of News and Media Relations at UW-Madison, told Campus Reform that complaints of discrimination were made to the school, which was the university's now investigating and addressing. She also confirmed that students in MLC were told to limit who they invite to visit them based on race. McClone added the behavior was not appropriate. 
Residents have the right to invite whatever visitors they wish, regardless of the background or identity. We have taken the appropriate action to address this and ensure that the MLC provides a supportive environment for students due to federal laws protecting student privacy. Blah, blah, blah. We agree with her, but, yeah, we don't want to get sued. Some students, including Yang, seem to lament the university's response. The legend only occurred because it was white students who complained. Yeah. Well, it's because you're a racist against white people. What the fuck do you expect? For so long, students of color on this campus, here comes the victim, play the violins, have been begging and complaining and emailing and rioting and protesting for their needs to be met. And yet, for some reason, when five or six white students complain, all of a sudden it results in a person of color being removed from the space. It is truly that they're so uncomfortable around me they don't feel safe or it's just that they're uncomfortable because for the first time in their life, their whiteness and their white privilege is being challenged. It's okay for white people to be in that space, but if white people are going to be there, they need to respect the people of color and are a priority here, she told Madison 365. Another student, Lisa Yaz, defended Yang's remark. I think that Che Fung was trying to say is that when you bring people in this space, you really need to be intentional on who you are bringing so that they don't harm our marginalized students on the floor, so they don't re-traumatize students, are basically just trying to live and survive in the white world. MLC resident UW-Madison student Lisa Yang agreed, writing in a Facebook post that white people and those who enable white people harm will always be uncomfortable. Yang said that white students who were bothered by the incident are not really ready to repair the harm. We cannot let freshmen of color go through this re-traumatization because white students are not ready to be held accountable. Yang was also one of the organizers for the recent protest of UW-Madison's decision to remove Cheng Yang. Protesters alleged allegedly had four demands. They included acknowledging that Yang had to work 20 plus hours a week. Oh my God, you got to work 20 hours! Giving back pay to Yang for extra hours. Formally apologizing to MLC residents for prioritizing white feelings over POC safety. Safety. Your presence makes them unsafe. Remember that. That's how crazy these people are. And for UW-Madison to provide more resources to student of color. This is like that great Arizona one. They want millions of dollars for just buildings for just them. According to UW-Madison website, Witt Hall primarily houses first-year students. The website also states that MLC is for students who have a thirst to understand the problems, issues, benefits, and contributions of human diversity and social justice. The MLC program website states that community goals include to create a safer space for a diverse group of students, foster increasing understandings of one's own other belief, and to examine the dynamics of current power structures, among other things. Once again, I love this kind of shit, and I get into the, the weeds on it, but here's the reason why. Liberals like to use 800 words to say, we hate Whitey. I mean, all those words just say, this building is for people of color only. If you're white, go fuck yourself. Even if you're white gay, go fuck yourself. Or this building is just for people of color who are gay. Or this building is just for gay people. And if you're not gay, you can't come in here. And this is the very thing they say society is doing to them, Trump is doing to them, conservatives, Christians, we're all making them unsafe and persecuting them for their beliefs, but it's they who are doing it. It's all that projection, folks. Liberals are projectionists. 
They just project what they're doing on other people so they can get away with what they're doing. WMU College Democrats apologize for stating time has passed for civility. WMU College Democrats. Eve Evan Oderk. Just to clear things up about your invitation to participate in a forum, we prefer time spent on our time working in the community and volunteering for local candidates whose views do not oppose ours. Our leadership is not the same as it was two years ago, and neither is our country. The time has passed for civility. We strongly condemn Donald Trump and anyone who supports his lawlessness. We don't believe that giving his campaign a platform is representative of the values that WMU claims to hold and the commitment to being a welcoming and diverse place. Our position is that Donald Trump and his campaign staff are not welcome on our campus because of the threat they may pose to vulnerable students. This this is so fucking intertwined, man. Did they have a meeting? Let's all just say white people, Christians, veterans... They threaten me. They trigger me. After WMU professor Peter Wilhauer published a Facebook post highlighting a recent guest lecture by Michigan GOP Trump victory campaign field organizer, the WMU college Democrats took to their own page to express deep displeasure. It is very disappointing to us that a WMU professor would allow someone who supports an administration that openly breaks the law daily. This is much different than allowing local campaigns for either party to speak. They went on to further say, we would hope this error in judgment doesn't happen again. I'm not going to read it. It was a white girl who did the speech for Trump. And a comment on the same post that said they didn't want civility has passed, already read it. We don't believe, after the WMU College Republicans responded to the liberal group's disdain for civility with an official statement on the matter, stating we're disappointed that WMU College Democrats have decided to condemn civility and bipartisan participation. They went on, hearing from people who you disagree with politically is a reality of life, and WMU professors should not be bullied into only allowing the far left to have a platform. College Republicans concluded their statement by emphasizing their commitment to civility and respectful engagement. Hope that their friends on the left can put aside partisan differences and do the same. After they called for civility, the Democrats walked back their original stance on the matter with an apology, resetting their own statements on civility, claiming the comments made about civility were meant to convey a no-tolerance policy towards white supremacy and extreme nationalism. Which is the same thing to them. If you like America, you're a white supremacist. Furthermore, the group stated, We sincerely apologize for implying the Republicans were not welcome on campus. The apology statement signed by WMU College Democrat Communications Director Alana Anderson sought to reassure the campus community that we are welcoming the different views and encourage an open dialogue between political parties, but we will protest every fucking person that steps on this fucking goddamn campus who doesn't agree with us. She didn't say that, but that's that's what they're going to do. Student government warns peers about very prevalent microaggressions like mispronouncing names. Oh, let's dig into this. Kicking off mind, this is Illinois student government. Kicking off Mindful Monday with a little food for thought. Racial microaggressions are very prevalent, but many aren't able to identify them. Have you experienced a racial microaggression on campus? And if so, were you able to identify and do something about it? Is it direct or indirect? Is influenced by power dynamics? And they have like a little pie chart. Uh, Urban Champagne Student Government recently posted a guide on how to spot racial microaggressions, which it claims are very prevalent. 
Yes, very. The group's post explained that a lot of time racial discrimination in the classroom doesn't seem as direct, but nevertheless still has the same impact on students of color. One. Okay, here's the other one. Is it indirect or direct? A lot of the time, racial discrimination classroom does blah, 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 blah. One, classmates asking a student of color where they're really from. That's a microaggression. Two, repeatedly sing- singling out the sole student of color student part of the marginalized group being discussed in class. Three, making seemingly passive comments influenced by racial stereotyping within a lecture. And four, instructors purposely mispronouncing a student's ethnic name despite being corrected multiple times. Oh my God in heaven. Uh, then you know what? Everybody on the planet has microaggressed me because they've never said my real last name right. Ever. Once again, Tony Reid is a stage name. My real name, nobody says it right. The racial microaggressions highlighted in the post included asking class... Okay, I already read it. The same post suggests racial microaggressions are influenced by power dynamics, offering ways to identify one as being discriminated against by somebody who is in a position of a power! Afraid of you speak up, you'll have an impact on your grade, powerless about the situation, discouraging to continue the class given the circumstances. Here's the reality. Let's just get to the gist. In another 10 years, people of color, gay people... Trans are just going to go to college, sit in the class, do nothing, and get A's. Because that's where they're heading towards. You know, fucking placement tests are racist. Um, fucking homework's racist. Being late for class is racist. We've covered all this on the show. Just show up. You get Because you're black, because you're whatever, you get a passing grade because you had such a hard life. But, you know, that little piece of trailer trash or the fucking person who's doing night courses to get their degree, fuck them because they're white. They had a leg up in the trailer park, I guess. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. There's more white people on fucking assistance than there are black. By sheer population, but even by percentage. So I don't think only black people, only gay people, only trans people are the only people who literally have a hard time in life. Ivy League TA accuses conservatives of supporting child molestation. A teaching assistant at Cornell University accuses school's Republican student organization of supporting sexual abuse on children. Hmm. You guys are having child drag queens and want to sterilize six-year-olds because one day their mom got it in their head that they're a girl. Cornell teaching assistant Irene Hartman made the accusation in a letter to the editor published in the Cornell Daily Sun in which she took issue with an organization hosting former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker for a recent speaking event. If you are a Catholic priest who records a... whose records of molestation are so severe that the diocese defrocks you so that you need a license to work with children, Cornell Republicans are here for you, or at least until a political opponent brings this to national attention. Early in the letter, Hartman jokingly said that she was grateful that the Cornell Republican group was hosting Walker since it shows who they are and what they stand for. Although the talk will likely focus on anti-union rhetoric under the guise of free market, there's no denying that they welcome Walker to campus. Cornell Republicans are co-signing political patronage in the form of dark money donations and giving quarter to pedophiles instead of prosecuting them. 
The allegation of supporting priests who sexually abuse children stems from Walker's administration giving or renewing professional licenses for four ex-priests who were defrocked as a result of sexually abusing children. After Walker found out about the situation, spokesman told the newspaper the governor believes they should lose their licenses. Cornell Republicans President Isaac Shore told Campus Reform, however, that Hartman's placement of blame on Walker is misguided. Ms. Hartman's claim regarding the defrocking priest was debunked by an article she linked in her letter. Bureaucrats in Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services granted license to the defrocked priest. Governor Walker wasn't involved until he found out the situation, or at which point he may never rectify it. So this is just a gotcha moment that they're doing so they can try to score points, but let's just be honest. If there's a party supporting pedophilia, it is the left who believe maps should be a protected class. Minor attracted people. And all this tranny shit, just shut your dirty, dirty fucking mouth. UCLA storytelling for just social justice pushes unsubstantiated, one-sided claim, critic says. UCLA uh, promises to educate students in a way of storytelling for social justice so they can share messages of social justice with the larger community. The UCLA Extension Program is offering a storytelling for social justice course that encourages students to view society through the lens of multiple groups, including those from the Me Too, BLM, LGBTQ, EIAO community, and illegal immigrants. The course taught by author and activist Shaba Rabar is titled Storytelling for Social Justice and promises to help students gain access to pathways to explore personal history, family narratives, and stories amidst their communities. Students participating in the course are encouraged to undercover stories that are not including our history textbooks. Yeah, here we go with that gay uh, wagon train guy again. By the end of the course, students are expected to have a comp- completed a storytelling project to fit promoted to the larger community. The course description admits that the reading material are largely unsubstantiated claims and antidotes from partisan espousers of highly political charged movements such as BLM, Me Too, DACA, LGBTQ. Bruin Republican Policy Director Michelle Ohan told Campus Forum learning that not all students accept the policies or ideologies of the aforementioned political actors. The syllabus warns students to be wary of hurting each other's feelings during the learning process, saying, when we discuss one another's work in an open format, open process, there is an opportunity to hurt the writer's feeling, or even if unintentional. With the highest regard for critical thinking in mind, we find it troubling that professors providing one-sided narratives as legitimate sources, as opposed to providing sources with differing valid perspectives in order to uphold civil discourse and healthy discriminant in academia. The Republicans. So, let let's be honest. All their shit is one sided. It's one sided. All these partisan groups. I can't say as an NRA member that NRA isn't one sided. Of course, it's one sided. They have an agenda. The BLM will take one shooting and say it's all cops. LGBT will say eighteen people got killed this year because they're trans. 16 of them was because of domestic abuse. That's, that's what these, these do, man. They take one and they make it all. So here's just another crazy... Uh, California, just succeed. Succeed, man. Make your own country. Go the fuck away. So, let's have a music break. A little Christmas music. 
And unfortunately, we'll come into gay shit on the other side.
Welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed. Hey, 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 bow, 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 little pump in the cut. Welcome back. November is National Adoption Month and thousands of children, many victims of sexual abuse, are hoping to be welcomed into a new forever home and taken out of the foster care system. Xiomara Gonzalez-Govea takes a look at what it's like for some of these children to be caught in the system. ¿Cómo recuerdas tu pasado en Puerto Rico? Mi mamá era prostituta. Human trafficking, prostitutes. My mother was a prostitute. This is difficult for her to say, admitting to her mother's illegal trafficking of children, as well as her mother's history of prostitution, is perhaps not the most honorable testimony in the life of Ariela, a young transgender girl who's been part of the crowded foster care system where she has spent more than six long years. That was Univision during um, National Adoption Month going into trans shit. Yeah, that's that's a special. But we got a repeat on our show. Yanev, yeah, the Canadian who sued the motherfuckers or did a civil rights complaint because they wouldn't do a bikini wax on his balls and dick. Well, now his feelings are hurt. Trans woman confused and hurt gynecologist won't play along. What the fuck is wrong with this damn gynecologist? Don't you know that men have periods too? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe they actually use biology and science? Whoa, let's find out. Trans woman Jessica Yanev's vendetta against biology rolls on this week as the... Dignant biological male turns her sights from suing migrant spa workers, refused to wax her junk, to calling out the legality of Canadian gynecologists' refusal to examine her penis. Don't they know she identifies as a woman? Yanevs, whose real name is Jonathan, is a trans woman from British Columbia, Canada, who has made ways of particularly obnoxious brand of LGBTQ EIEIO fucking activism. On December 2nd, Yanev took to social media to complain about her local gynecologist who refused to examine her, her private parts. Yanev complained that since she identifies as a woman, people have to treat her like one. Even medical doctors are intimately aware that this type of rationalization is fucking insane! They said that in the article. Not the fucking, but they did say the same. Yanev tweeted, So a gynecologist's office that I got referred to literally told me today, we don't serve transgender patients. And me being me, I'm shocked and confused and hurt. Gynecology, of course, is a branch of medicine that deals with the functions and diseases specific to women and girls, specifically those affecting the reproductive system. So no matter how hierarchical it is to dogmas of Canadian social justice warriors, no lady parts, no lady doc. Of course, common sense doesn't apply to activist pests. Yanev complained and tagged the College of Physicians and Surgeons of British Columbia in her tweet about what she deemed unfair and illegal practices. Are they allowed to do that legally? Isn't that against the college practices? It is 
this guy is just so mental. Yanov then explained that gynecologists from a part of the multidisciplinary team who engage with transgender and non-binary patients, either as part of the transition stage performing surgery or managing pre- or post-op transition gynecological problems. Some gynecologists, perhaps, the vast majority probably don't sign on to play make-believe with the mentally ill. It's also worth noting that Yanov is not to be trusted considering her penchant for playing the victim and passion for accusing incredulous bystanders of discrimination. Her previous claim to fame involved bringing migrant spa workers before the British Columbian human blah, blah, blah. We already covered it. Here, here's the deal. This goes back to the big push they've been talking lately about trans are at a more higher rate of getting fucking cancer because they're not doing pap smears. And once again, I forfeit. You tell us we must treat you as the sex... You woke up one day and decided to be. So if I'm treating you as a doctor, as a dude, I'll be like, well, you need a prostate exam. Bend over, I'm going to stick my, my hand up your ass. I wouldn't think about a pap smear. But this this is what they want to do. What do you, you want a pap smear on your dick, weirdo? I don't think it's going to feel good, especially when they put those spreader things in there. I only saw it once when... I had to go in for something for my wife, and I was holding her hand, and it scared the shit out of me. It was like Hostel Part 12. It was just fucking horrible, and I felt bad for women. But I don't think you want that in your dick. I'm just saying. It could be me, but I just don't think so. Teen Drama preaches tolerance for gays, singing about slitting wrists on your holy Bible. Yeah, there you go. You see it? They got it both. They got it in there. Mmm. Gay push and Christian suck. We all know the saying, do as I say, not as I do. And when it comes to the less virtue signaling with tolerance, we also know, well, that their tolerance only extends to those who they agree with. That couldn't have been more clear on Monday night's episode of the CW's teen drama All-American, which nobody watched, which featured a song that preached tolerance for gays, who they are, while subtly showing disdain for God and the Bible. The show is about the challenges and triumphs in the lives of several high school students and their families set against a football theme, as well as struggles that people of color face in inner city versus life in glamorous Beverly Hills. The show rarely have ever delves into politics, so I've actually enjoyed watching it, but as a Christian, Monday's episode, Life Goes On, didn't sit well with me. Coop Breezy plays a lesbian on the show as talented songwriting and performer. She wrote a song with a girlfriend, Patience Chelsea Tavarius, about proud, about being proud of who they are and how they won't change for anyone, for anything. They perform it together for the first time in the crowd. Um... I'm not reading the rest of this. Is this, is this the song? To say to be honest, what if I told you it was different and me not loving you for who you are now is exactly my intention? If I told you I was prolific, would you believe me or find it hard to receive me? If I told you I'm on the way a little girl and I like girls, would you still look me in my face or would you say something to make me run away? Would you tell me that I'm sinning, This that this ain't God's work, baby, you ain't living? Should I change my ways to try to make you listen? If I turned suicidal when I slit my wrist on your holy Bible, would you turn your back or would you hold me tight? Jesus fucking Christ. You fucking people. The official video for the song took the anti-Christian prejudice up several notches by prominently feature a church scene, folded hands praying, and church bells ringing in the background as the lyrics are sung. The song and the show are sponsored by Microsoft Surface Laptop. There you go. 
I hate the gay mafia. Seth Mandel, the butt the butt gag is the wrong kind of gay attacks from progressives remain the absolute wildest nonsense of the campaign. Out magazine, Pete Buttgag volunteered for the homophobic Salvation Army. You know, that's the amazing thing of our time, that people can literally write that shit, that the mainstream media could go along with this shit, knowing good and well that the Salvation Army is not homophobic. They don't give a fuck what you suck, eat, fuck, or that you want to make your dick a chachi. If you're homeless or need help, they just give you help. They run food kitchens and shit. Jesus Christ. Anyway, he got caught doing that, and it was a huge thing for the gay community because, once again, he's the wrong kind of gay. I give him props. At least he didn't buckle to it. I mean, he's not going to win. UW Hate Bias Response Symposium aims to challenge straight white college men. University of Wisconsin Lacrosse hosted a Hate Bias Response Symposium Tuesday and Wednesday, which included a session aimed at challenging straight white college men. The UW Lacrosse Research and Resource Center for Campus Climate and UWL Hate Response Team hosted the two-day Hate Bias Response Symposium, which featured a range of sessions such as Fat is a Social Justice Issue too. I'm down with that one. I'm just saying, I'm a fat guy. And Navigating Masculinity Through Trans Identity and Got Solidarity Challenge Straight White College Men to Advocate for Social Justice. For example, the fattest social justice issue, too, focused on the fact that fat phobia has always been linked to other oppressed groups, but is often left out from social justice research and activism. We fail to acknowledge that fat is a social justice issue. In this presentation, I begin by providing a brief history of the way fat has been pathogized and medicalized in the United States. I'll then discuss some of the ways fat is connected to gender, race, and class, because we've got to intersectionality this shit. In particular, and offered some strategies for how we can move forward to engage fat acts activism. The next session, Navigating Masculinity Through Trans Identity, where participants discuss the regulations of gender through expectation of masculinity through a narrative of trans masculine identity. Is that like when I put my G.I. Joe outfit on the Barbie doll? Is that what we're talking about? Because that's basically what it is. Then this narrative will include examples of gender bias and how this bias evolves over the course of transitioning from female to male. The regulations of masculinity will be explored via group activities along with potential consequences when health masculinity is not reinforced. Challenging straight white men to advocate for social justice, where the panelist described his book, written especially for straight white male college students and educators, that emphasizes the need for white people to advocate for social justice. You know, when I say it all fucking gnashed up like that, I'm trying to say it like them, because straight white male is horrible in the world. Peter Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars, commented on the event, telling campus reform that almost anything can be turned into a social justice issue these days. Look at it. With the right kind of squint. Almost anything could be turned into a social justice issue. Fat, residence life, policing, masculine, Islam. The campus climate coordinators and the fellow activists and administrators need not worry they will run out of monsters under the bed. It's a very big bed with room for an endless nightmare of new monsters. I'm confident the conference ended with a generous round of self-appreciation for the important work these folks are doing to keep Godzilla of dust bunnies at bay. And that... Is our quote of the day. That's some good shit. That's why I read the article. 
<laughs> Everything is SJW. Gender jackpot highlights absurdity of PC propaganda. And this is an op-ed I would ask you to go to uh, Campus Reform and Read. And it, it's it's just funny. Uh, if you really think about where we're at on this trans shit for 0.07% of the country, and as stated numerous times on the show, the, the, the fucking verbal gymnastics they do to try to be different and continuing to just change everything so nobody knows what's going on so they can continue to be pissed at people for not accepting them it is, it, it's just a ballet of stupid, man. Ballet is stupid. Thrown in this, convicted pedophile used a Mueller investigation indicted for funneling money in illegal contribution to Hillary, the DOG says. And you did not hear that, did you? But once again, pedophiles are people too. Maps are so important to the left. Book allowing kids to contact demons to be sold at Walmart. This is a fucking children's book. Major book retailers are encouraging kids to summon their own personal devils this Christmas. All they have to do is convince their loving parents to gift them the next best kids book. A children book of demons. Sure to be a hit in the kindergarten classroom. Uh, it is fucking scary. LifeSite News reported that the book written by Aaron Lighton will instruct kids on how to conjure gentle demons by writing their signals, which serve as phone numbers, straight to the spirit. Remove the uncertainty that comes with old-school Ouija boards and direct dial Satan and his minions. It's a perfect fun for all ages. Joking aside, this strange and macabre introduction to the cult is being marketed to 5- and 10-year-old demographics sold on Amazon, Walmart, and Barnes & Noble. Popular parenting blogger Elizabeth Johnson, whose online persona is Activist Mommy, provided a blunt warning to parents curious about the book, which is represented by the author as playful and innocent enough. Activist Mommy claimed, as ridiculous as the demons contained this book may be, there's nothing innocent or fun about even pretending to summon evil spirits. And once again, why, why would you... You know, you couldn't put out... Or Amazon would not be putting out a kid's book about Jesus' birth. That would not be a feature item. I mean, I could do an Amazon search right now. I'm sure it's not going to just pop up and go, Yeah, look at all these books. But summoning demons. Okay. Teen Vogue teaches kids history of America is one of brutal mass slaughter. Because once again, we're still jerking off to America sucks for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. As if the liberal agenda teaching kids to be anti-gun and anti-founders wasn't enough, now they're explicitly connecting today's mass gun murders to historical mistreatment of minorities. And I had a soundbite to play before this, but I'm not going to, of Jim Scuto so upset that the Supreme Court is going to give more gun rights because there's more gun shit going up, and because of the Second Amendment, they keep losing. The left just can't win. And they're so pissed off about it. But I didn't play it. Secondly, before we move on, and I hate to segue in the middle of an article, but this said founders. I don't know what history's thinking, but they're about to get just ass raped, literally, because they're doing a George Washington 
three-part episode. Looks really good, you know, like him in the Revolutionary War and not being king and saying we need a president, yada, yada, yada. Did they not read the memo that no founders are good anymore? They're all evil, evil fucking white supremacists? I mean, the left is going to freak on that thing. Anyway, back to the article. In her November 29th article, mass shootings are connected to America's lengthy and anti-indigenous violence. Ruth Hopkins, part of the 1619 project that they're doing over there, too. Everybody's doing it because, you know, it's an election season. we got to say America's racist so we can get a Democrat fucking elected. She bemoans, the fact the United States has a long, bloody history of mass shootings. The truth of the matter is this country was founded on colonial violence, built on the backs of black slaves and the bodies of millions of slain Native peoples. Native peoples. Hopkins then quoted the known luminary thinker, anti-gun activist David Hogg, telling MSNBC, if you want to talk about mass shootings, we have to recognize the massive number of indigenous mass shootings that were committed by the United States government. The history of America is one of brutal mass slaughter, dating from the genocide of this land's original peoples to the shooting we see in shopping malls and schools today. White supremacy has been a key component of American violence. America's glorification and acceptance of gun violence often wears a white hood. Some believe the President's Trump administration and his army of sycophants are responsible for this recent explosion of mass shootings. There's no denying that many of the shooters are Trump supporters and rallies are known for stoking hatred and vitriol. But according to Gun Violence Archives, which Hopkins cites, there has not been an explosion of mass shooting under Trump. Under Obama, there was a fuck ton. But of course, let's not fucking use facts. Once again, the left doesn't like facts. The fact they, they want fear and fucking emotions to get people scared to go vote. It's that Godzilla under the bed shit. That's how they operate. We covered dog vaxxers last podcast. Well, once again, as we're going to rebrand climate, got to keep rebranding, we're going to rebrand this. This is Crazy Mothers, a Twitter handle. Dear media, please retire the use of the term anti-vaxxer. It is derogatory, inflammatory, and marginalizes both women and their experiences. It is dismissively simplistic, highly offensive, and largely false. We politely request that you refer to us as the vaccine risk aware. And she was serious. That She's serious. Yeah, you, the people that are putting all kids at risk of getting shit? Yeah. Yeah, good job. Perneum Sunning, also from last podcast, the latest wellness fad caused actor Josh Brolin to burn his asshole. Yeah. That's fantastic. To abortion, Elizabeth Warren says she wore a pink Planned Parenthood scarf to the Trump's inauguration, and I'm going to be wearing the same scarf when I'm sworn in president. Keep saying that. And you won't be sworn in president. And then our big pro-life abortion story, which hurt my soul. Pro-abortion actress rages against pro-birth, pro-lifers who don't give a fuck. One actress is trying to give Gloria Steinem a run for her money. And pro-abortion extremist Jamela Jamil. And she is the host of the Misery Index. 
Anybody's followed the show, I love Impractical Jokers, and I was supporting the show, and it was actually a pretty good show, even though I think whoever's doing the polling is smoking crack. For those that haven't seen it, you have to rate <clears throat> terrible things between extremes, or guess what this would be for mental status, uh, physical, and long-term uh, harm. And it was a cute show, and we were just watching it for the Impractical Jokers because we support them. Well, we're not anymore. Um, she, uh, Jamila DeMille, who had an abortion when she was younger, is so exercised about abortion that she's being rage- She's been raging at pro-lifers on Twitter. It all started with November 6th interview between Jamil and Steinem and Harper's Bazaar. In the interview, Steinem repeated her mantra that without abortion, there's no democracy. After Katie Yoder brought attention to the interview and quote in Town Hall article posted on Sunday, Jamil faced backlash from pro-lifers. Apparently it made an impact because the actress tweeted out on Monday to the pro-life trolls, to the people trolling me and Gloria Steinem because we said there's no democracy without a woman's right to choose. I said what I fucking said, and you're clueless if you think I'm going to take it back. My life is more important to me than an unborn fetus one. Suck on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's nice. Clearly the words of thoughtful, reasonable person who has thoroughly examined the abortion debate from all sides. On Wednesday, she was still feeling the clapback for pro-lifers about her awful quotes because she angrily tweeted, You people are pro-birth, not pro-life. There are plenty of starving homeless babies currently... Well, this is the weakest arm argument, but go with it. Over 100K currently seeking foster care. You care about fetuses. Once they're out of the womb, you don't give a fuck. Help the kids who are alive first, then call yourself pro-life. Jamil falls back on the familiar leftist trope that pro-lifers never, ever do anything to help the poor and needly. Meanwhile, it is a long-established fact that conservatives give more generously than liberals. As it is not, you can help the unborn and the born at the same time. As blogger Matt Walsh tweeted, Am I allowed to oppose murdering the homeless even if I don't volunteer at a soup kitchen? <laughs> Back on May 13, when Georgia heartbeat bill was in news, Jamil bragged about her own abortion and again brought up the foster care system, tweeting that her abortion was the best decision I have ever made, both for me and for my baby, I didn't want and wasn't ready for emotionally, psychologically, and financially. So many children will end up in foster home, so many lives ruined, so very cruel. Jamil would have us believe that violent, premature death is better than growing up in foster care, being adopted, or otherwise being raised under difficult circumstances. So very cruel indeed. And it hurts my fucking soul, because, once again, I'm really surprised that the fucking Practical Jokers would associate with somebody like that. I mean, I know they're New Yorkers, and you can pretty much tell, you know, other than Joe Gatto, who is, like, my personal hero in life, um, he's a Catholic. They're not religious, and they're probably super duper libs. I mean, I, I kind of know that, but um, yeah, I can't watch that show anymore. Once again, I, I am. Oh, and the last thing uh, abortion is a constitutional right, not a privilege for those who can afford it, Bernie Sanders. So the big push is coming. You're going to start hearing Hyde Amendment. You're going to start hearing over and over and over that, you know, we. Once again, for those that haven't educated themselves, the Hyde Amendment. Only stops these fucking murdering trolls at PPFA from doing mechanical abortions. But we hand them $550 million. They do 670,000 chemical abortions a year with that money. 
and I don't care how you say it's walled off and all that bullshit, if I give you, uh, let's just make it so it's understood, we would never give $500 million to the NRA and say the NRA can't use that to help manufacturers sell more guns. The argument would be, by giving them $500 million, they now can take $500 million in donations and push what we don't want them to do. And that's what PPFA gets to do. They lie, do statistical gymnastics with, oh, we do 2 billion fucking pap smears. So only 3% of our business is abortion, but financially, 90% of their business is abortions. Because as a woman's in the stirrups, they go, well, we missed that. It's like 10 weeks, so give me the goddamn money. And we played it on the show. So, I, I once again, I don't give a fuck if you abort 100 babies. I don't give a fuck if you want to be trans. I don't give a fuck if you want to suck dick or not suck dick. Those are things I just don't care about. My problem's always been, we've gone from a country... That used to be, I can have an opinion and you can have an opinion, to in a country that you must have my opinion because I'm a liberal and I'm better than you. I know better than you. We've gone from a country where I vote for Reagan, I vote from fucking this dick, uh, what was that fucking guy in the, who was the guy in the fucking tank? The caucus! And after the election, we'd still have a beer to... Oh, you voted against Hillary? Then for Trump? I hate you, your family. You shouldn't be allowed to be in America. That's where we're at as a country. And it all is based in this social media shit. It all starts with the college. We're indoctrinating in college people to not accept other people's views. We protest anytime something comes. We get it boycotted so other thoughts can't get on our campus. And then they go, well, that's not good enough. Hold our chai latte. Now we're in grade schools. We're doing trans story hours. We're, we're indoctrinating kids so that they will be liberals, so they will vote for Democrats. Don't think it's not that way. It was no different than the religious right. We get our kids in school, our Sunday school. We take them to the church. They'll be good citizens, and they'll vote for Republicans. There's no difference. But the latter... With George W. Bush saying, like every other fucking president on the world, well, God guided me to do the right thing. That was fucking horrible. Clinton could have all sorts of people up there. They would say, look, he's a Christian. Don't you even question his religiosity, even though he's getting blowjobs under the fucking desk. Don't you do it. He could say it. He could say, God bless America. Obama could get up there and say, God bless America, when you know he was agnostic. The dude wasn't religious. He's never been religious. I mean, that's why I always had a problem with all those people saying, oh, he's a Muslim. Yeah, he was raised in madrasas, sure, but dude was not religious. He was just a, he's a liberal. He's an activist. If you lined up every BLM protester, every March for Life protest, or March for Death, the fucking Women's March bullshit, Whatever. Line up all the protesters, all the organizers, all the severely fucking hard left people. And you took a poll. They're all either atheists or agnostic. Because they've taken their politics so far that they 
associate Christianity, Catholicism, even Judaism with conservatism. Thus, it must be bad. They're the people that say, you're an idiot for believing something that doesn't exist, but that cross offends me. I mean, it's the stupidest thing in the world. You can't pray in class. Those students praying after a football game, we must stop that. They're just not right. <clears throat> just not right. Next is a, fem- a, fem- a, a feminist. For years, new, now feminists have tried to screw up social interactions, criminalize basic inter- interpersonal relationships, deem mundane of activities as tantamount to rape, and sell us on the power possessed by women, while at the very same time making them victims of the most mundane crimes in the hands of toxic patriarchy. Summed up in a few words, they are backcrap lunatics. Not content with the monkey wrenches they have already tossed in the social gear works now, arrived the latest advisory on how to behave with proper comportment via feminist writer Susanna Weiss. Susanna Weiss. <clears throat> Ask consent for all sexual encounters. Yes, even sexting. I just came up with this script that you're all welcome to borrow. I've been having some sexual thoughts about you. I'd like to share over text if you'd enjoy that. Okay. Yeah, that's a thing. That's that's a that's a fucking thing. Oh my god. That that just hurts my fucking pancreas. Two, everything is racist, and we're gonna have a sound bite on the backside. Everything is racist. And while there are obvious parallels to Richard Nixon in the Watergate era, Nixon actually resigned before he was formally impeached and removed. Trump's situation actually bears much more resemblance to the impeachment of another presidential villain, Andrew Johnson, who assumed the presidency after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865. And joining me now is Brenda Wineapple, and she's the author of the great new book, uh, The Impeachers, The Trial of Andrew Johnson and the Dream of a Just Nation. Um, And Brenda... Thank you so much for being here. You were on my wish list of thank you to my booking producers. Because I started, I just started reading your book. Oh, wonderful. It's so good. Thank so you. So good. And, and one of the things that I'm going to read you, this isn't from your book. This is actually from the New York Times. And it's a piece called Donald Trump Meet Your, Pre- your Precursor <laughs> about the shared, the things that they have in common. It says, well, most significantly, both men, this is Trump and Andrew Johnson, right. made an undisguised championship of white supremacy, the lodestar of their presidencies, and played on the politics of racial division. Johnson peddled the racist myth that Southern white voters were victimized by black emancipation and citizenship, which became an article of faith among lost cause proponents of the post-war South. The irony, of course, is that Johnson was a Democrat when Democrats were the conservative party. Uh, he, he called his, his enemies, um, he called for their execution. Um, he called the press the enemy of the people. Um, he denied the legitimacy of Congress. He obstructed justice. Um, he abused his power. Um, I think that's you know quite a <laughs> mouthful. Actually, it's quite yeah, a bit I think that other he did. Than- other than hosting a reality show, it sounds like the same guy. Exactly, um, exactly. It's a good thing he didn't have 
Twitter, but he, you know, but he did have rallies. He went yeah. and he wanted to bring his case to the people. And just briefly before we let you go, whenever I have a historian on, I like the historian to remind the country, these two parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, were exactly reversed exactly. at that time. Exactly. The Republicans, as I said, were formed as kind of coalition anti-slavery party. It was very, very clear. That's what they stood for. And the Democrats were for you know, small government and um, became associated with the South, you know, white supremacist uh, at the yeah. time and for home rule, which is to say states' rights, which is to say keeping black men and women, you know, without citizenship, without due process. Yeah, absolutely. They were the conservative party. They were they were reversed, folks. So that's where all the Very people want to go on Twitter. Dark skin color with a dark football with a dark uniform. You could not see that thing. I mean, you literally could not see when he was in and out of the mesh point, and it, it, it and that's going to mean, and you're a half step slow on, on when he's his dark skin color with a dark football with a dark uniform. You could not see that thing. I mean, you literally could not see when he was in and out of the mesh point, and it, it, it and that's going to mean, and you're a half step slow on. on well, tonight, a 49ers broadcaster has been suspended for inappropriate comments he made about the Baltimore Ravens quarterback following Sunday's game. On a radio show Monday, radio color analyst Tim Ryan said QB Lamar Jackson, who is black, is skilled at faking handoffs because of his, quote, dark skin color with a dark football. Jackson rushed for more than 100 yards as he led the Ravens past the 49ers on Sunday. The team released this statement saying, We are disappointed in Tim Ryan's comments earlier this week and have suspended him for the upcoming game. Tim has expressed remorse in a public statement and has also done so with us privately. Now, Ryan released his own statement saying, quote, I regret my choice of words in trying to describe the conditions of the game. Lamar Jackson is an MVP caliber player, and I respect him greatly. I want to sincerely apologize to him. And any and we could not have a everything is racist without that fucking racist herself, Joy Reid, over on MSNBC. The second part was kind of troubling. And for those that are younger, you don't remember Jimmy the Greek saying something that wasn't really, I mean, you shouldn't, you wouldn't say it in this world, but it, it was factually correct, and that is Tim Ryan, he is the color commentator for the 49ers, and he said it about Lamar Jackson after the 49ers lost to the Ravens, and he was basically suspended. 49ers on Wednesday confirm radio commentator Tim Ryan has been suspended for Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints for inappropriate comments about Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Ryan's comments this week came during a radio hit on KNBR Radio in Bay Area, the team's flagship station, when talking about Jackson's ability to run the read zone. He's really good at that fake, Lamar Jackson, but when you consider his dark skin color with a dark football with a dark uniform, you cannot see the thing. I mean, you literally could not see what he was in and out of the mesh point. And if you're a half step slow on him in terms of your vision, forget about it. He's out the gate. Ryan, 52, was a defensive lineman for Chicago Bears in 90-93. spent 11 years as television analyst. He joined 49ers in 2014. Team said, apologize to Ravens organization to assure it. Ryan issued apology through a team spokesman. I grabbed my choice of words in trying to describe the conditions of the game. Lamar Jackson is an MVP quality player. I respect him greatly. I want to sincerely apologize to him or anybody else offended. He went out and apologized to everybody 
in the organization. They did a whole, we are disappointed in Tim Ryan's comments. We are suspended for the upcoming game. We told Tim to high standards, representative of our organization. He must be more thoughtful with his words. He was expressed remorse. Blah, blah, blah. The 49ers said they plan on having a replacement for Ryan on Sunday, but are waiting for those plans to finalize. So, basically, if you think about it, and I would challenge you to go listen to the podcast of the Dan Lebitar Show, which they lambasted his comments, but then as they went through the process of learning, you shouldn't say it, but what is right? Was it right? The NFL used to use white footballs at night for night games. But then they started blending in with the white uniforms, so they said that was an unfair advantage, and they got rid of it. This is the always the stuff that happens. Now, granted, I understand for decades, a millennia, really, black quarterbacks were something people didn't want. There was some bias against it. They were athletes. They wanted them to play other positions. And you went through all these little freaking vignettes of Cunningham, McNabb, Vic, Kaepernick, Lamar Jackson. I just said a couple weeks ago, Lamar Jackson's great. He's fucking awesome. But within a couple years, he won't be because he's going to get jacked. That doesn't do with this race. That's do with his playing style. Eventually, they get fucked up. Marcus Mariota, look at him. Not even going to be in the league. But what he's saying is actually factually correct. Dark uniforms, dark sky, dark ball, dark skin. It's harder to see the ball. People are keying on the ball. And it does blend in. That's not a racist statement. That's just saying he has a better way of doing the option because they can't see where the fucking ball is. It was a combination of the ball, his hand, and the uniform at the mesh point. If he's going to hand it or run. I'm sorry if that hurts your poor little feelings. The fact is, it was a true statement. Should he have said it? No. But in the world where everything is racist, well, goddamn, we got to have faux outrage about everything. Even Al Green, the guy who started fucking, what, three impeachment inquiries before this one. Listen to what this chucklehead said. Still, I rise with my mnemonic notes in hand. Mr. Speaker, I rise because I love my country, but I also rise today with heartfelt regrets. It hurts my heart, Mr. Speaker, to see the Judiciary Committee hearing experts on the topic of impeachment, one of the seminal issues of this Congress. Hearing experts, Mr. Speaker, and not one person of color among the experts. What subliminal message are we sending to the world when we have experts but not one person of color? Are we saying that there are no people of color who are experts on this topic of impeachment? What is the message that we're sending? Mr. Speaker, if I am wrong, I will apologize. But if the committee is wrong, if the Congress is wrong, what will it do? Mr. Speaker, people of color for too long 
have been ignored by one party and taken for granted by the other. Too often this happens. Not always, but too often it happens. Mr. Speaker, I refuse to be ignored and taken for granted. I came here to represent the people who are ignored and taken for granted. Not one person of color among the constitutional scholars. It seems that there is a desire among some to have the output of people of color without input from the people of color. It seems to me that we have reached a point wherein we've got to have this debate about what these committees are going to do when we have our various persons appear before us as witnesses. We ought to have balance as it relates to all aspects of society, and that would include people of color. So, Mr. Speaker. So, they're racist because the fucking witnesses were white. Did you want a black person just to lie? Well, I mean, this whole thing is a huge fucking lie. But is that what you wanted? I mean, when you can't even do your investigation without being racist, what does that say? You got rid of fucking Camellia Harris, and you call only white fucking witnesses to get Trump. Really? You fucking wahoos. Let's go to climate. Here's... uh, Jesus Christ, the media, once again, I, I have a segment at the end with the media pushing. John Kerry, new World War Zero climate coalition likely to achieve just zero. He started his own thing and World War Zero, getting to zero emission, but it's a clear, you know, clear thing of World War Z. And here's CNN freaking out on it. We're at war, folks. As this unfolds, delegations from around the world are coming together in Madrid at the annual UN Climate Change Conference. The meeting comes after a recent UN report says that countries are not doing enough to keep up, keep Earth's temperature from rising to near catastrophic levels. This is the agreement of the scientific community. We're joined now by former Secretary of State John Kerry. He and a star-studded bipartisan coalition, they're rolling out a new initiative to combat this growing crisis. It is called World War Zero. Secretary Kerry, we appreciate you taking the time this morning. No, thank you, Jim. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you. Let, let, let me begin, because the, the climate report really, really put a sharp point on this, I think, for people, just to describe that time is really running out to have a chance of addressing this, this rise in temperature. You said that no country is getting the job done. You say that the U.S. way behind... As you know, President Trump has has reversed many em- emission standards during his three years in office. What has that done for uh, the possibility that the U.S. can then make up that ground to get where it has to be yeah. to make its contribution? Well, it makes it far more difficult, Jim. I mean, the fact is that uh, we are so far behind that you need now to organize nations almost as if we were at war. That is why we call this new organization, World War Zero, because no one country can solve the problem of climate change. You have to have every country at the table, most importantly, the 20 or so largest economies in the world, which are about 85%, 90% of all emissions. Secondly, you've got to start to make a set of decisions that are really enormous, not unlike decisions that were made in the course of World War II to make sure we could win the war. We're not doing that today. We need to accelerate the transition to decarbonize transportation, to move to electric vehicles. That means you've got to accelerate the process of building the infrastructure so you can charge those vehicles around the nation. PBS took it up to the next level. 
fox helping to destroy the planet. Yet not a fox like the animal, but the channel. The website taxpayer-subsidized Boston PBS Superstation WGBH posted a commentary by local professor Dan Kennedy on December 3rd, provocatively titled, How Fox News is Helping Destroy the Planet. Kennedy writes a column weekly for them and is a panelist on a local Beat the Press. He begins, Want to fight climate change? Tell your elderly relatives to turn off Fox News. Kennedy cites the latest poll from Liberal Pew Research showing about two-thirds of U.S. adults say the federal government is doing too little to reduce the effects of climate change. Similar shares say the same about government efforts to protect water, 67, and air, 68. But older Americans have the lowest percentage thinking the government is doing too little and want and what do older Americans watch? Earlier this year, a bulletin of the atomic scientists reported on finding that shows rejection of climate science among ordinary people is uniquely American and that Fox News is the likely reason. Citing survey data that author Dana Nicelli wrote that Republicans who watch Fox News are more than twice as likely to deny human-caused climate change than Republican non-viewers, and 62% of Republicans watch Fox News. This is just like, if you drink coffee, you're going to get cancer. It has nothing to do with it, but it looks good in a little statistic. Nichella added that the data suggests that presence of Fox News and other conservative, conservative media outlets may be the primary explanation why climate denial is more prevalent in the United States than the developed worlds. And it further proves that Rupert Murdoch, whose family runs Fox News, is one of the most dangerous people on the planet. This is the same WGBH that produced a 10-hour series in 90 titled Race to Save the Planet. And they said, by the year 2000, that's less than 10 years away, the Earth's climate will be warmer than it's been in over 100,000 years. If we don't do something, there'll be enormous calamity in a very short time. And that's actually, it didn't come true. Speaking of terrible predicts the same show, which included no skeptics in 10 hours, including Lester Brown of World Watch Institute, who forecast doom on the 1990s. The future food security of the world is becoming more and more questionable. We could see food security replace military security and the principal preoccupation of many governments in the world during the 90s. Yeah, that's, that's not true. But never mind, Professor Kennedy thinks Fox is the station distributing the misinformation. As usual, the leftists here think that when the left doesn't get what it wants, democracy is undermined. The role of Fox in preventing serious action on climate change shouldn't be underestimated. From propping up the Trump presidency, presidency to mocking science as a bastion of liberal elitism, Fox is hastening the day when parts of the planet will become uninhabitable. It's further proof proof that our media system, like our electoral system, is undermining our democracy. Yeah. Which is their speak for, yeah, I don't get my way, let's ruin everything. Just be good. I'm Eleanor, and my nickname is Bear, says a child at the E-Warn event. My question is, when you become president, are you going to stop global warming? Warren, Yes. Yes, first I'll do absolutely everything that a president can do by herself. Yeah. Greta Thunberg, after staying on a catamaran for three weeks from New York City, Greta Thunberg arrived in Portugal today. Thankfully, the boat had an engine too. And there were people with this girl showing them their trip. And it's like... I don't... 
British yacht skipper 26 wiped out the carbon emissions saved by Greta Thunberg sailing across the Atlantic by flying out to the U.S. to help her. So that takes care of it. Then they show the, the line, and it's like, what the fuck were you doing? Greg Polowitz. This is so fucking stupid, and everyone who cheers her on should be called out. Rather than flying to Madrid on her own, the two YouTubers flew in a captain for her to cross the Atlantic. You need carbon to fight against carbon. I'm so sorry it ruins your shit. To other news, Daily Beast trashes Melania Trump Christmas display as state-sponsored jingoism. Melania Trump's joyless Christmas decorations are back to haunt your nightmares. It's state-sponsored jingoism. Melania Trump tried this Christmas. It did not take long for Demonopolis to begin trashing the First Lady in the White House and everything else. Daily Beast snarky article on the White House decorations was operated as much of a hit piece on Trump than anything else should not have come as much of a surprise. At this time, two years ago, the website published two separate articles trashing the White House. One article, how, wow, Melania Trump really hates her life. And the other article, step aside Melania Trump's nightmare before Christmas. Remember that? As the headline described the White House as the creepiest home space in America, hating on the first lady in the White House display appears to become what the Daily Beast is known for. I still can't believe they still fucking, like, exist, but whatever. Other religious shit, I want to play this, right? It's political, all right? Tell me for a second, just be objective. Does this fly? Do you hate the president, Madam Speaker? Because I, I don't Collins, hate anybody. Representative Collins, Collins suggests. Uh, we don't hate anybody. Not anybody in the world. So don't, don't give me a few I did not accuse you. I asked a question. Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I have nothing to do with it. I think it's an important I point. I think the president is a coward when it comes to to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the helping our dreamers, that, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the, constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the election. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Now, in lieu with this, I want to read this. This is actually from Time Opinion columnist, former Democratic congressional candidate and former Obama faith outreach leader, Christopher Hale. He watched the display and didn't see a pissed off Pelosi, but rather a modern day Jesus. This is a Christian person. I say this with total sincerity. Nancy Pelosi reminds me of Jesus. She's an enduring witness to truth, to justice, to mercy, and to compassion. The president and his Christian supporters could learn from her. Now, two things. If you're such a Christian person, why the fuck are you flipping out on somebody like that? Don't mess with me with words. 
Additionally, <laughs> how can you as a Catholic be for abortion to fucking college? And lastly, it would take a blind, deaf, and dumb person not to say the media, Democrats, progressives, and most of this country on the left and right coast not only hate Trump, they hate every GOP president there ever was, and they hate the people that voted him in. My intent was to play a soundbite of just all the shit they said about Bush. How he's stupid, a liar, screaming, foaming at the mouth. Anybody who protests against Obama, this lady right that's astroturf. That's not organic. That's not grassroots. Dissent is the highest form of patriotism, she said. There's no way in the world she would be elected anywhere but where she is. She's an extremist, and for her to say she doesn't hate the president, that's a lie. And you do not pray for the president. Don't fucking lie. That's sacrilegious to begin with. And then you have a religious person. She's Jesus. You fucking people, man. You don't even believe in it. You pander to say you do. And to say those words, she's Jesus. Get the fuck out of here. I put it in here because it's religious bashing. So, let's go to our crazy crime. This one cracks me up. Mother upset with son's haircut, slams car into Antioch Barber Shop. It was in San Francisco. I thought it was in Nashville. And Big Sis was going to just dog me again. Woman on oxygen killed while smoking a cigarette. Her tank exploded. What the fuck, dude? This one is super sad. Mom puts plastic bag over three-year-old son head, tied his hands during California house fire. Lady was mentally challenged. She's having problems. And she went to kill herself, so she tied her kid up, put a bag over his head, tied herself to her bed after she caught the house on fire. That's sad. Caught, uh, and she's a Latino, and nowhere in her will they say if she's illegal, but they did say she doesn't speak English. So, think about what you will. Caught on camera, Barney's employee brawled with suspected shoplifters. Look that one up. It's a good old brawl. Man punches worker over McDonald's miscue. This one, uh, come on, it's the holiday season. Get a fucking grip. Two McDonald's employees were assaulted by an irate customer who claimed that the workers botched his order. Investigators say Victor Jimmy Castro placed an order last month at McDonald's inside a Walmart supercenter in Layton in Salt Lake City. But Castro, 28, soon appeared on McDonald's according to a probable cause affidavit. He allegedly walked behind the restaurant counter and began throwing hay punches at a male employee who struck in the face by Castro's blows. After attacking the victim was working the cash register, Castro continued to the rest of the fucking staff. <laughs> it's because you got my order wrong, he was saying. It was these beat people up. Dude must love his Big Mac. Then a new horror movie's coming out. It's called In Fabric, a gory ode to Dario Argento about a cursed red dress that has been seen 
to be has to be seen to be believed. Bloody mannequin vaginas and evil babies inside the most grossly grotesque movie of the year. I had a soundbite. I'm not going to play it, but the sad thing is I'm probably going to have to watch that shit because my wife's a fucking freak. Just a freak. So, let's go into our lighter fare. Um, where are we at on time? I have... Um, quite a few lighter fares today. Um, I downloaded some funnies. Ah, what the fuck? We're going to play one now, and we'll play uh, one later. It is uh, SNL. They had the Christmas show on last night. And back when SNL wasn't about politics and hating fucking Trump with this new lighter, this new fucking millennial crew... It was actually really funny, so this is one of my favorite all-times. I've probably seen this a thousand times. I still chuckle. So here's Justin Timberlake and Adam Sandberg doing the uh, dick in the box. Too funny. Hey, girl, I got something real important to give you. So just sit down. And listen. Girl, you know we've been together such a long, long time. Such a long time. Now I'm ready to lay it on the line. Wow, you know it's Christmas and my heart is open wide. Gonna give you something so you know what's on my mind. A gift real special. Take a look inside. It's my in a box. It's in a box. Not gonna get you a diamond ring. That sort of gift don't mean anything. Not gonna get you a fancy car. Girl, you gotta know you're my shining star. Not gonna get you a house in the hills. A girl like you needs something real. Wanna get you something from the heart. Something special, girl. Always a funny one. 
<clears throat> Our next is an article, very short, and I just, this was just fucking funny as shit when I read it. I want you to think about, we are real news, Mr. President, Jim Acosta, Chris Saliza, for the millionth time, porters don't take sides, and then, of course, apples, bananas, and kumquats with their facts first. This is an article on CNN. The new drink, an Irish cream cold brew, with is Starbucks cold brew coffee mixed with Irish cream syrup and topped with vanilla sweet cream, cold foam, and cocoa powder. It goes on sale Tuesday across U.S. stores and will be available for a limited time. The entire world asked, is that news or an advertisement? Seriously. What the fuck, Chuck? Our next is from my wife, the better half. She sent me this one. It snowed last night, 8 a.m. I made a snowman. 8.10, a feminist passed by and asked me why I didn't make a snow woman. 8.15, I made a snow woman. 8.17, my feminist neighbor complained about the snow woman's voluptuous chest, saying it objectified snow women's everywhere. 8.20, the gay couple living near, nearby threw a hissy fit and moaned it could have been two snow men instead. 8.22, the transgender man-woman-person asked why I didn't just make one snow person with detachable parts. 8.25, the vegans at the end of the lane complained about the carrot nose as veggies are food and not to be decorated snow figures with 828 I was being called a racist because the snow couple is white 831 the Middle Eastern across the road demanded the snow woman be covered up 840 the police arrived saying someone had been offended 842 a feminist neighbor complained again that the broomstick of the snow woman needed to be removed because it depicted women in a domestic role sadly that's all true and then our last lighter fare, which probably would have been better at the end of the show because it's really funny. I got this from World's Dumbest Motorheads. I guess this was a viral in like eight, uh, 2012 or something, but I don't remember it because like I was busy working and shit on the road. This guy, they should have let him off. I have done nothing wrong, and even the situation where you grab me has nothing to do with having been sort of intoxicated, as you proclaim. And I didn't see that I was intoxicated when you grabbed me, and I have an ear, I, but it doesn't even matter. But it has to do with brotherhood of men on the planet Earth. Is this the real life? Is this just fancy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your minds, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy, I need no sympathy, cause it's easy come, easy go, little high, little low, anywhere the wind blows doesn't really matter to me.
Mama just killed a man Put a gun against his head Pulled my trigger, now he's dead Mama, life had just begun Now I've gone and blown it all away Mama I'm not back again this time tomorrow. Carry on, carry on. Cause nothing really matters. Bum 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 too late. My time has come. Sent shivers down my spine. Bodies aching all the time. Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Gotta leave you all behind and face the truth. Mama. Sometimes wish I'd never been born at all Carry on, carry on As if nothing really mattered <laughs> Na 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 I see a little silhouette of a man Scaramouche, Scaramouche We do the Vandango Thunderbolts of lightning Very, very frightening Galileo, 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 Galileo Galileo Figaro Monte Piccolo I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me I'm just a barber, I'm a poor family, sparing his life from his monstrosity. Easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Fetch me up. No, we will not let you go. Let me go, we will not let you go. Let me go, we will not let you go. Never, 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 let me go. Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. Oh, mama mia, mama mia, mama mia, let me go. Beelzebub and the devil put aside for thee, for thee, for thee. So you think you can stone me and spit in my eye? So you think you can love me and leave me to die? Oh, baby! Can't do this to me, baby! You just gotta get out! Just gotta get right out of here! Robert, calm down. I can't. Cause nothing really matters. 
Anyone can see. Nothing really matters. No, nothing really matters. Nothing really matters. Even the RCMP. Do you have to cough me? Physical violence is the least of my priorities. The way he ends up just going full stoic just cracks me the fuck up. It's like, god damn, dude, was that an out-of-body experience? I don't know. I have two This Is America. We're going to do the most heinous up front, and then we're going to do the second on the back end. And I got to admit... Um, even for Dems, this is pretty bad, specifically because it happened during the impeachment trial. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son Baron, he can't make him a Baron. Thank you. The founding. I'm a scholar of the law of democracy, so as a citizen, I agree with what uh, Professor Gerhardt said. As an expert, my limitation is that I'm a scholar of the law of democracy. I'm not a scholar of obstruction of justice or obstruction of Congress. We will accept your opinion. Now, understand, I know it seems like it's not that big a deal. I could play you an hour of examples how it's inappropriate to bring family members into anything. And you knew she practiced this all week. She thought it was really cute. But this is like the millionth time since Trump's got elected that people in the media, Democrats, people all over Twitter, have dogged the president's son, his wife. It's just it's incessant. His daughter, for God's sake, the things they said about her. But of course, our media said this was a nothing burger. One of the three scholars that Democrats called to testify had to apologize for mentioning the president's 13-year-old son during her testimony. Republicans blasted Stanford law professor Pamela Carlin after she tried to make a point that Mr. Trump does not have the same powers as King. The Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son Baron, he can't make him a Baron. When you invoke the president's son's name here, when you try to make a little joke out of referencing Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. I want to apologize for uh, what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. I wish the president would apologize, obviously, for the things that he's done that's wrong. But I do regret having said that. Barron's mother, First Lady Melania Trump, tweeted, Pamela Carlin, you should be ashamed. 
of your very angry and obviously biased public pandering and using a child to do it. The White House press secretary called the professor classless. I am very glad that she did apologize. I yep. admit when I was watching, I cringed just a little bit yep. yeah. when she brought Bear and Trump's name into it. And Melania Trump rightfully turned into Mama Bear at that moment. Yeah. And back in that hearing room, Republicans were furious when one of those law professors argued that the Constitution does not make Trump a king, driving the point home with a quip about the president's son. So while the president can name his son Baron, he can't make him a Baron. When you invoke the president's son's name here, when you try to make a little joke out of referencing Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. It makes you look like you're attacking someone's family, the minor child of the president of the United States. First, the apology just in tonight from that law scholar who brought up uh, the president's youngest son. That's right, Stanford law professor Pamela Carlin at the end of the hearing said this, I want to apologize for what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. It was, I wish the president would apologize, obviously, for the things that he's done that are wrong, but I do regret having said that. Later, Carlin drawing criticism for invoking President Trump's 13-year-old son to make her point that a president is not a king. The Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son Baron, he can't make him a Baron. The first lady tweeting, Pamela Carlin, you should be ashamed. Carlin later apologizing. I want to apologize for uh, what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. They're following it very closely and responding in real time. And what we see now are Republicans seizing on a key moment. It's when Pamela Carlin, she's a professor who is testifying and a Democratic witness, she said that President Trump could name his son Barron but could not make him a Barron. She was referring to the fact that she thinks that President Trump at times can act like a king because he's abusing power. But she was really also making a joke about the fact that the president's 13-year-old son is named Barron. And Barron, of course, is a noble title. Um, and she was basically making the case that he cannot be made into nobility and he won't inherit, essentially, the presidency. Republicans are now seizing on that and saying that she was completely out of line. We saw Matt Gates, an ally of the president, essentially say that she was mean and that this really hit her credibility and made her not as credible. We also saw the Trump campaign quickly come out with a statement and that statement said in part Hunter Biden, Vice President Joe Biden's son, is off limits but a 13-year-old isn't. They're also now calling on Democrats to essentially criticize this professor and, and say that what she was doing was wrong. They also are now asking for an apology. So what we're seeing there is really fireworks when it comes to Republicans seizing on this witness and saying she was out of bounds and that and that Democrats are essentially showing no boundaries because they are still backing her at this point. Yeah, Congressman, Congressman Matt Gates, who's known for being one of the more outspoken members of the Republican caucus in the House. Gamish, in fact, he went, he went further, looked into Pam Carlin's statements, I guess, interviews earlier this year, where at one point she talked about Democrats like to be with other people. Republicans prefer to be by themselves. And he asked her about what she meant, and she talked about geography and where Democrats and Republicans live. But you could see at that point that that may well become. Uh, oh, my God. He's so mean. I mean, think about all the things his father said about different people. But excuse me, she I just maybe they missed this part, but she was not speaking about the child no she was speaking about his name and how it played into what he could not do he cannot take a title 
She was not being disrespectful or nasty. And even if you thought there was something questionable about the joke, you might have just said, you know, I don't know if I would have made that joke, but I understand where you're coming from. But then Melania you could have moved on, it, didn't she? You know, she and Melania was upset. Again, can't you guys imagine yourself? Can't you imagine yourself saying exactly the same thing? Like, I, I could just imagine well, you have to tossing have sense, that off. You have to have a sense of humor, and a lot of these people do not have it. But I, I, why aren't they concerned about the 70,000 children being held at the border? They're worried about this one child? Well, why are you trying to knock all these people up? What about the elderly, <coughs> who are also able-bodied, but maybe unable to go out and do a job? What are you doing? What about kids? They're able-bodied as well. You knocking them up. What the hell, man? Yeah. What the hell? I would like to see that same energy with the first lady perhaps talking to her husband about children in cages, about children at the border, about children being separated from their families, and about children losing their food. Now understand, once again, we don't make the rules. Normal Americans don't make the rules. Conservatives don't make the rules. Christians don't make the rules. Normal Married people don't make the rules. Anybody that's normal doesn't get to make the rules. You freakazoids get to make the rules. And the fringe gets to make the rules. This is off limits. Mentioning names, doing anything. Yet we watch over and over our media attack family members. And you, you heard, it's a nothing burger. They're making nothing out of anything. PBS, Yamachi Alcinder, fire words from Professor Pamela S. Carlin, fire words. Go for it. Melania Trump, a minor child deserves privacy, should be kept out of politics. Pamela Carlin, you should be ashamed of your very angry and obviously biased public pandering and using a child to do it. Cherry Jacobfus, sure, pumpkin, let's not exploit kids like you and your husband did after his baby parents were gunned down because the GOP is addicted to blood money from the NRIU ghoulish hypocrites. That's just one. I picked one out of the tens of thousands. Christopher Cuomo. This is to the floatus. Two of obvious points. Going after kids is rightly a no-no in politics. And the first point would have been more weight here. If not for the obvious, the husband of Melania, who rightly calls for us to be best, is too often at his absolute worst, disrespecting everyone and anyone. People's reply to him, shorter Cuomo. Going after kids is totally okay in politics, so long as they are the kids of people I don't like. Brian Seltzer, how many times will Baron Baron moment be replayed on Fox tonight, you think? I've seen it twice in the past 30 minutes. Now Martha McCallum is interviewing Rep- Representative, Representative Matt Guest about his outrage about the Baron moment. The anchor says witness Pamela Carlin showed obvious insensitivity. Daily Caller, Kellyanne Conway rips Pamela Carlin for elitism. If you want, if you went to work today with manicure nails, to manicure lawns, if you went to work with jackhammer, a welding machine, or a mechanics tool, or a carpentry belt, that woman yesterday looked you down her, no, down her nose at you. She thinks you are less than her. I've had it with these people. Conway added that she's working for middle Americans against individuals that have three Yale law degrees and have the audacity to say that liberals like cluster together while conservatives can't even stand to be together. Who the hell are you, lady, looking down on half of the country? 
Team Trump, only in the minds of crazed liberals is it funny to drag a 13-year-old child in impeachment nonsense. And they put out a statement. And they're right. You would never tolerate this. I've had a bunch of tweets uber liked because I said to, to both Cuomo and Seltzer, it'd be five shows for Seltzer. How we're belittling and we're, we're lowering the standards and what's wrong with our discourse and oh my God. What the hell? But this is our media. WAPO this week. Journalists must reach the undecided to impeach Trump. This is from Democracy Dies in the Dark. WatchPost media columnist Margaret Sullivan has offered a perfect example how the pompous post sees itself. It exists to provide enlightenment to the masses, and the masses are supposed to respond and give liberals victory at the polls, both at election time when the media pollsters work the phones. It is their job to destroy Trump's darkness that allegedly killing democracy. The headline our own column today, wall-to-wall impeachment coverage, is not changing any minds. Here's how journalists can reach the undecided. Britt Hume, because you see journalists are not simply to report the news without fear or favor. Their mission instead is to convince the people that the president should be impeached and removed. Good Lord. Others, Sullivan is panicked that all this pro-impeachment media bias isn't having its intended effect. And it's true. She goes on to say less certain Republicans, about 12% of the sample. This group is persuadable, but not particularly interested. Columbia University journalist Professor Bill Geskin suggests that movie trailer approach. In a message, he explains, studios spend one million or more on a trailer because they know it's essential to boil down the essentials of the film. Explaining but not giving away plot, providing a quick but intense insight to characters, setting the scene with vivid imagery to entice people to come back to the theater a month later to see the full movie. This is what they need to do. Once again, that is from a news agency. Andy McCarthy. Fact is, no one think thinks I was on the fence about Trump until I heard about this Ukraine thing. If you want him impeached over this, you already wanted him impeached. If not, you shrug and say, that's Trump and nothing terrible happened. No minds change. America always looked for fairness. When Democrats first attack our republic by spying on presidential candidate in 2016 to harness power unfairly, illegally, it was then over for them. Dems know this, so they impeach to take the decision out of the people's hands. The never-Trump MSM has decided to put ourselves themselves, since they know that the American public already knows their intent and agenda. They've decided not to lie anymore about being journalists and just try to admit they carry water for the left. They do. But he brings a great point. This impeachment started November 9, 2016. The beginning to impeach. We read the article, watched it post, had it on their fucking cover. It is the media pushing the fucking left. Here's an example. To say that we are closer to victory today is to believe in the face of the evidence, the optimists who have been wrong in the past. Do Democrats 
overestimate the fear uh, by not leaning more into gun control measures. But just as important as what we are going to do this hour is what we're not going to do. We're not going to debate climate change, the existence of it. The earth is getting hotter and human activity is a major cause, period. We're not going to give time to climate deniers. The science is settled, even if political opinions That. Whereas everyone knows that Democrats actually care about stuff, right? Bigots on the ballot are the shameful dark side of our politics right now, and they are running as Republicans. Trash talk world leaders at the NATO summit in London caught on a hot mic appearing to mock President Trump. The president once again clashing with U.S. allies on the world stage. The cloud of impeachment is shadowing the president at the NATO summit where he's meeting with other world leaders again this morning. He was hoping that this NATO international summit would help him turn the page at least temporarily on impeachment. But this week has brought new controversies and new challenges for a president already under fire. This video went viral overnight, showing the leaders of Canada, France and the U.K. appearing to discuss another leader in one part of the exchange, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who met with Mr. Trump for over a half hour, seems to vent about someone's tardiness. The takeaway here, Savannah, is that this video exposes the complicated relationship that President Trump has with some of these other world leaders. We don't know exactly who they're talking about, but we know that these optics are potentially problematic for President Trump. Remember, Savannah, he's a president who has expressed concerns that the rest of the world is laughing at the U.S. I think Democrats on one hand have said this whole time they don't want to look too political with this. And yet... Every decision they've made on how they conducted this investigation has been with a political, almost fear on the other side. They have all a bunch more leads to pursue, and they're not doing. Is that a mistake? The Democrats did not, they decided not to have a campaign-style war room to make their case. Politically, they thought that would be problematic. The entire Republican party is united around one message right now in protecting the president. But the Democratic Party, Kimberly Atkins, is not. The the Democratic presidential candidates get off of impeachment. If you thought he needed to be removed from office immediately, isn't the move saying nobody campaign for three weeks while you watch the hearings? You think that that's what right? would Like, be. should that have been the move? Maybe, perhaps, because that's one thing that they, more or less, the candidates are all said, yes, I'm for impeachment, and then they, and moved, then they on moved on to start talking about Back away, care. don't and campaign. And they left all of that back in Washington, and they're off talking well, about Now Kamala things. Harris has time to do that. Well, you have more people. I hate to jump ahead, but now it's <laughs> time to jump ahead. Um, but, yes, Gave that has... Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. That has been the play, and you still have Democrats saying, oh, we don't want to talk about impeachment on the, you know, people want to talk about the the message Correct. that it isn't the existential threat that Adam Schiff believes it is. But Republicans are sending the message that this, this is, is a, a coup. Way. And I know that the This Is America is supposed to be the last soundbite, but I, I cannot not cover this. You have NBC talking about the cloud over the president overseas. You have a video done by Biden that I could play, but I won't, of him mocking the president while he's overseas. Let's take that by itself. 
Wasn't that off limits under Obama? Wasn't it inappropriate to talk about the POTUS when he's not on soil? Did we not hear that over and over and over? They even used it for the defense of Obama getting caught on a mic saying after the election I'll have more ability to do whatever the fuck I want. That's inappropriate. Talking about the president when he's not on the show. That's not what we do. That's a news agency doing it. And never mind that Biden's video that's now like a campaign video and it's viral. He deceptively edited it, which is, I mean, he literally did. He took sound bites from different parts. I watched the video on it. It's not even the same thing, which is what the defense is for Planned Parenthood. Everything is ever caught on the left. The media isn't even touching it. And then you have Chuck Todd once again with his weekly fucking the left isn't focused on impeachment enough. That's basically him saying they're not doing a good job. They're not. They're doing a horrible job. Because they already cried wolf three fucking times before, and they mullered us to death. I mean, my year in review is just going to be impeachment, 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 200 times about Mueller to then the end of them talking about smoking guns. That's what we put up with for fucking three years, folks. It's 2019. 616, that's all we've heard. And none of it's ever fucking true. But the media wants it. So they're pushing the left to do it. And it's fucking criminal. I think this guy got crushed. Jonathan Turley. He just is getting hounded. I'll cover it in the next podcast. But I think he kind of surmises what most Americans feel about this impeachment. Which is what's pissing off. Washington Post, NBC, at all. The problem is not that abuse of power can never be an impeachable offense. You just have to prove it, and you haven't. It's not enough to say, I infer this was the purpose. I infer that this is what was intended, when you're not actually subpoenaing people with direct knowledge. He's right. And the sad thing is, is the left believes we're all so stupid that we weren't going to see through it on Mueller and impeachment. You're grabbing for straws. America remembers Obama's statement. America remembers Obama taking pallets of cash to Iran. They remember these things. And they realize that presidents can pretty much do a whole lot of shit and you don't have a problem with it unless, for the left or media, there's an R behind the name. <clears throat> so what have they done? They say we're all racist, white supremacist. I mean, all the, I had an article that I was going to put in the next show, but I, it's just like everything else. YouTube made 30 changes to lower borderline video views by 70%. What does that mean? CNN, Fox News, Joven Pan, India Today, and The Guardian. On average, 93% of the videos in global top 10 results come from high-authority channels. But then when you dig into the inlays, 
It's CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS. That's all you're getting. When I tried to search once again for all the names people said about George W. Bush, um, Harry Reid disparaging George W. Bush, I, I couldn't even get to it. It was all Trump. Or the actual, you know, uh, what people said about Obama. And why do I bring that up with this? That's how far we've gone since 2016. You have Google, which owns YouTube, MSN, Apple, suppressing people to get conservative news. Or not even call it conservative. Other than the liberal news. They push now news and anything... I mean, do an anti-gay thing and you're going to get a bunch of out and pink news. How the fuck you think I found it? So they've taken the internet and rigged it so it's anti-Trump, anti-conservative, pro-liberal. Every article you get is anti-Trump. The op-ed pages are anti-Trump. You've been doing it since 2016 till now. That's three fucking years. Four. If you count 2016 and most of it, they were like, he's a piece of shit. He could never win. You keep doing that. And you expect people to think that Nancy Pelosi doesn't hate Trump. And that this impeachment's a real deal. It's just like Bush back in the day. By the time they got done in 2004, I don't think a lot of people wanted Bush, it's, you know, it, it was like, maybe it's best he goes away so the country can stop freaking out about him getting handed the election, but you beat on him so bad that he became the number one person somebody would want to have a beer with because majority of Americans felt bad for the guy. And that's what you're doing with Trump. So one of the bylines on that Turley soundbite I played is they have the passion, they just don't have facts. And it's all disingenuous bullshit. From Nancy Pelosi saying she doesn't hate him, the media saying they're just reporting the facts. You have gone through each iteration of everything bad with Trump. You then go, it didn't work out. You scramble to find something else. During that, he's a cult leader, he's a white supremacist, his followers, anybody that voted for him, everybody's a racist, everybody's a white supremacist, and you've gone straight to the Democratic Party and the media have gone to attacking the very people you want to vote against him in 2020, and you wonder why it's not working out. I mean, our, this is America alone. One, disparaging children, bringing children into conversation. Those are your rules. And two, talking about POTUS on forward soil was what you did for eight years, Democrats and media. And you said it was inappropriate. And now you do it wantonly all the time and try to blame Trump for it. Well, he's horrible. 
He's a terrible person, so it's okay to bring his kid into a fucking impeachment. Christopher C. Cuomo. It's just pathetic. I mean, the more and more I sit and think about it, folks, I think Trump's got a really good chance of getting reelected. This is 2004 all over again. Yet in 2004, you kind of had a reason. It was squirrely that the Supreme Court kind of solved it. And there was some election issues. But in 2016, you lost. The American people did find her emails bad and did find the Clinton brand pretty fucked up. And I would say more than the FBI bullshit that they try to pin on it, the second wiener shit, which goes back to Paige and Zork, the very people we're supposed to think are victims now. I was thinking of it the other day, her face plant at the September 11th memorial, that was kind of like McCain. And whose fault's that? Democrats. You made people think McCain was already in the grave, so they voted for Obama. I think that the Democrats have a really bad memory. Our media purposely has no memory to go back and say, well, it was okay under Obama. The Democrats. But you forget you make all these rules. You're the people making the rule book up, the 90,000 fucking pronouns and what's right and what's wrong. You're the one. And when it backfires and bites you in the ass, like the filibuster rules and all the shit you do, you claim foul and the media lets you get away with it. I mean, there's so much water is carried by our media for one party and one party only. It's sad. Yeah, you can say Fox carries water for the right, but that's one fucking network. And really, if you think about it, if I was a politician, I would look at why does Fox News win? There's a percentage to just watch so they could be like Brian Seltzer and report about what was on Fox tonight. Or because they hate Republicans. Or Tucker Carlson. But that says something about the country. The rest of your brands are pretty fucked up. And I know if I turn on any of the mainstream networks, or CNN or MSNBC, I'm getting a heavy dose of everybody who doesn't believe what I believe is Satan. Whereas if I go to Fox from 6 to 10 o'clock at night, I'm going to get anybody who doesn't believe in me is Satan in the opposite direction. So... I had to cover those, even though this is supposed to be a non-political, because those issues, I mean, come on. You're a bunch of fucking hypocrites. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send emails with comments to foppodcast at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at Fop Podcast and the Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. Let's shoot for a Tuesday, 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 10 December, Year of Our Lord 2019 podcast. It'll have no college, no gay shit, and no everything's racist. It'll just be politics. Unless like this, I find a few articles I gotta slip in. 
Keep yourself warm out there. I got a bunch of snow coming my way, which is pretty exciting. Tomorrow I do our Saturday junking before Christmas. This is my favorite day. We cracker barrel, go to Katie's, Kentucky, and look for antique or ornaments that we put on our tree. We put up our special yearly since 1986 ornaments up. And then we watch Christmas movies. So tomorrow will be a fun day for me. I'm really looking forward to it. Make sure you disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Don't let Christmas go by worrying about stupid shit. Shut the fuck up. Shut shut the fuck up. Don't, I didn't mean to say that. Shut the fuck off during the holidays. Spend some time with your family. And tune back in Tuesday to another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, my friends, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Thank you.